With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've watched the scouting combine about two or three times all the way through, which is always good for the soul. And I then went back and watched a whole bunch of tape of various and sundry players and uh, reached a few conclusions. One is there are some dudes who were invited to the Combine who had no business being invited to the Combine. No, nope, and... lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and... it's, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> I mean, if their agents had seen their times, they should have said, Nah, man, you know, I, I don't know. We should go to the Combine and you know, do something like that. Uh. <laughs> the Combine's not for everybody. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And by the same token, I discovered there were, well, I didn't discover, I knew this already. It was reinforced to me there were a fair number of guys who were better who didn't get a chance to go to the combine for whatever reason. So went back and watched uh, some South Carolina State games. I watched the FAM, South Carolina A&M game, and I watched them play uh, with Newton Cookman. And Vaughn Hargrave is an absolute monster. I know we've discussed this before. <laughs> I don't think people fully realize just what a monster he is. He's going to oh, be he's very, good. very good. He's going to be very, very good. Um, people just haven't watched his tape, you know. I guess. I guess. Uh, they don't Wallace watch Scott, FCS football, I, you know. I guess, man. Wallace Scott of McNeese State, who we should have, if not tomorrow, the next week. I think we'll have more tomorrow, though. Uh, is one of the better safety prospects in this class, and he's gotten virtually no attention from anybody for some reason. I mean, I, I guess I don't want to get a whole goes on down the whole rabbit hole again of why does this stuff keep happening, but it was frustrating when I went back and rewatched. I mean, we we all kind of watched the combine together the first time, and then I watched it alone. Just because I wasn't being over, you know, too much influenced by you know tweeting with other people or whatever it was. And it was it was the same again. Like the thing, it was it didn't get better. It didn't get better when I watched it again. Um, there were some solid performances. I mean, and, and obviously some of the top guys confirmed why they were top guys. But there was a wobbly wobbliness um, in many of the position groups once you got past the top guys. And I am utterly a hundred percent solidly convinced that they there could have been better players there. Uh, and I kind of said this before, but I am more solid in my belief of this having rewatched and then having gone and watched a bunch of other players who didn't get invited. Um, like Jonathan Woodard. 
what the bleep? Um, <laughs> you know, what? I mean, I have to wonder, like, what did, what did these people, what did these people not do? Or what did you, okay, so I know we didn't go to Ohio State. Sense, but is that what it is? The Ohio State thing? Is that the whole reason? Because I watched Noah Spence again against a bunch of different schools. The Kentucky game, which was a pretty good game. The Moorhead State, which was a game. Um, he got absolutely neutralized against Jacksonville State in the playoffs. I watched uh, the other game I watched. Uh, oh, uh, I watched the Tennessee State game. Like, I watched a lot of Noah Spence just to make sure I wasn't just being a hater or whatever. Um, You're not being and a I'm hater. Not, Okay, let's make it sure. He he is not that he's a bad he's a good football player, but I keep he's hearing top, but I keep hearing top five, top ten. I mean, maybe That's it's just me. Thing. I just can't find five top five, top ten. If there's top five, top ten tape of him, other than him abusing some a couple of dudes in a few one on one reps as a senior bowl, is that what this is all about? Is that the whole deal? A couple of one-on-one reps where he beat the daylights out of some slow-footed tackles at the senior bowl? Yep. Turned Vic Beasley into a top-ten player. Yeah. We're doing this wrong if that's what's going on here. We're doing this wrong. We're also like backwards, as the kids say in the streets. I mean, this this can't be. This can't be real life. Well, it is. People are overrated. <laughs> so you think I'd be used to it by now? I've been down this road many times. Um, People still, just, still think Kandichi's a you know top five prospect. Well, yeah, that's they need to get evaluated. Re- 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 that's slightly different situation. Oh, and and have you and uh, Mort decided to finally get together to issue a? Uh, Group apology to Mr. Kibishi for accusing him of being six foot one and a quarter and two hundred seventy pounds <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> he wasn't six foot five. No, well, I knew he he wasn't quite six foot four. But he was what six three and change and two ninety eight or something. Yeah, but I suspect there's some funny business with that weight. But that's oh really. You and do. with his off-field issues, though, too, like guy like Randy Gregory doesn't help his case at all. Yeah, it's not, but it's not like his off-field issues are different. Randy Gregory really, really likes They're him. different, but any off-field okay. issues sort of like that or off-field sure. issues in general are going to be I mean, sort of similar. They're going to – that's the other thing that people don't understand. Even if they love you on tape, there's a, a character scratch and dent discount that you get when a guy has – stuff. And the thing with him isn't even so much his um his, you know, experiment with the noid as the kids like to call it. Uh it's it's the way he came off. I mean it sounds silly, but what they when work gets around that you come off as like a kid who's you know, says kind of the right things but doesn't say them the right way and then kinda sorta Rats out a teammate when they ask you about your off-field incident, um, <laughs> and then, and then to kind of build on that, kind of sort of doesn't step up to the plate and take full responsibility. I mean, 
Who knows? Can we talk about that on my show about taking accountability for stuff like that? It's called a fall guy. Everybody has one. Everyone has one, right. And, it's all, and I'm surprised he didn't just use his brother. I mean, that would have seemed to be the obvious one. His brother is no longer really an NFL prospect at this point. He's his older he brother. He can't DJ under the bus. I mean, I'm just saying, know, they're they're already, already, but that would seem already to be. already got a hotel. I mean, you know, you can't throw him under buses now. Are we sure it wasn't under his brother's name or his name? It was in his name, but his brother was apparently, and once again, I, I guess I have to go back. My understanding is that there were at least one former Ole Miss player, who I'm almost certain was Denzel Uh Laramie Tunsil was apparently present. And there, was there another one? There were at least two other players or former players. I'm who sure Laquan Fredwell the was there. I'm not going to say that. I I don't remember seeing his name ever linked to any of this, so I'm not going to just go out and do that. But, but yes, it was well, a draft. Well, never saw his name not in there. You know, I mean, everybody's sort of suspect. Well, like I said, it was a draft celebration or whatever it was. These guys are getting excited about being rich soon. And we're going to be rich. Let's get high. <laughs> <laughs> um. Sort of, kind of, apparently, yeah. Something along those lines uh, is what it seems to have been. But the the point Still. is that... Still the radio <laughs> show. Here's my point. Well, my... The, whatever he did or didn't do, if he said, hey, I was excited, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I used poor judgment, I, it'll, it's not in my character, it'll never happen again, that would have been received one way. However, but no, Peter throws other teammates into it. Yeah, we know some teammates were in there. Just own up to your portion and just say. There were two things that they aren't wild about. One is they say, well, I wasn't high. I was just drunk or whatever. Um, which, I mean, I, I don't, which, who knows? I mean, I don't, I, I didn't, it, I didn't minister any sort of field sobriety to the young man. I don't know what you know, I what he said, he, he should have said, at least I wasn't driving. No, you know, we don't need no, any more no. of those. That's not how you should say it. It's, it's a simple thing. And that they have people that help you. They have people that work with the agencies that say, here's how you handle these situations. I'm sure they prepped them for the combine. And I would bet a dollar to a donut. They said, you know, I, I apologize for you know, embarrassing my family and my, my program, my friends, and this is not who I am. You know, I was very excited. I knew I was getting ready to chance, have a chance to live my dream. I was celebrating. I experimented with something. You know, I'm not not I'm not an addict. I'm not a I'm not a habitual user. But I was celebrating. The you know the the drugs were there. I tried them. Whatever you know, whatever it is you want to say. But I mean, there's a way to handle this, and he didn't do it the way that it's supposed to be done. So in addition oh, to the with Lermy Tunzel, he also had an off-field incident during the year where it got him kicked off. Yeah, we talked about that. He's choking out his stepdad. But they've sort of kind of forgiven him or whatever. I mean, that's sort of – and there was an impermissible benefit thing, I think, also. Uh, I think there might have been some sort of – or at least some thought that he might have received some sort of impermissible benefit as well from an agent or an agent's runner or what have you. But it was more of an anger management issue than a drug issue. 
But the main issue with him, right, was the choking out the stepdad. I think we may have been joined by Mr. Martel Hardy. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Woo! Well, ain't no party like a Martel Hardy party because a Martel Hardy party don't. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the acknowledged ninth wonder of the world, the second hardest working man in Chicago sports media. That is Mr. Mondell Hardy. Well, what an intro. Yeah, that's my usual. <laughs> it's the usual. Uh, Me and Jim are just be like, and we're joined by Jim and Isaac. Yeah. Goes into a bar when he goes it happens all the time. You should follow him around, Isaiah, and see how it is. It's all day. Well I'm two states or a few couple states away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Tell if you tell your boss, just tell your boss you're gonna to go to Martha Hardy. You tell when you mention Martha Hardy, your boss will be like, Oh my god, yes. Whatever you gotta do, you've gotta be around Monzo Hardy. When you come back, tell me what he was like. Yeah. Tell me what it was like. Let me smell your hands. <laughs> but here's here's what we're we're sort of circling around. This isn't nineteen seventy something, nineteen eighty something, when kids show up to the combine not knowing what to expect. They agents have put together basically a mock combine, especially the big time agency, put together a mock combine with mm-hmm. the media stuff with they bring in you know, PR people, they bring in, you know, reporters to have mock press conferences. They they test hey, them Bill. on the... What's up I'm with Timothy Alexander bringing in a briefcase? What's up with that? He's just a, you know, he's a... What's the one more? Um, you know how Brian <laughs> Westbrook is? I mean, he's one of those guys that does stuff. He likes to wear things. You know, he's one of those dudes, right? Very classy. Who wears glasses? You know, like those kids that wear glasses, but they'll need glasses and all that stuff. So, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Got a briefcase. <laughs> yeah. Alexander's a hipster. Yeah. Yes. Right. Hipster. That's the term we He's got a briefcase, and maybe there's like a Powerade in there, but yes, I understand <laughs> that he, he didn't actually need a briefcase. He wasn't going to do a presentation at some point. That would have been awesome if he did, though. I mean, and what if these people are making excuses for his lack of interception due to, you know, the pass rush for Vic Beasley, Stephon Anthony, and all them guys? You know, well, I don't know like excuses. To me, it's like excuses on the other end as to why we don't know if he's good or not because they <laughs> kind of stopped him from being exposed, you know, when you have yep. two seconds to throw the ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I mean, he's a two-year starter, and that's sort of hard, you know, to get anything from that when you're not being thrown the ball at. Some, they're not well, throwing the ball away. It's, it's not just that, though. If you are on the field, the amount of time he's on the field, you can almost, I mean, there's no tackles that come up with an interception if they play enough. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I don't buy it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. This <laughs> is all Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Excuses for Mackenzie Alexander. What happened was, for some reason, the narrative <laughs> that he was really good got started, and now you have to backfill, right? You can't just say well, he's, he's not good. really good. <laughs> he's really good at presenting himself. I mean, he's, he's awesome really good at, at press conference. Himself. He's really good at going and talking crap about other players and 
Oh, he's so confident. Look at how confident he is. And yep. yet he barely gets involved in run support. He gets yep. overpowered against more stronger wide receivers. It's yep. just ridiculous. Well, the, the tape. Well, supposedly it at the combine, people are like coaches were coming off this. He's overconfident. Uh, yeah. You know, a little bit way too cocky. Uh, well, yeah. I get I get it for the cornerback position, but yeah. but there's when there's a thing when a coach says you're too cocky and overconfident like that. Right. It's a, it's okay to be Chael Sonnen. It's not okay to be Conor McGregor. I mean, there's levels to this. <laughs> you know, he's he's gone a little past even what we expect from the cornerback position. And I'll give him credit for it. He is. At least he's he not is, saying, I was told I'm going to go between this range and this range. Well, here's what it comes down to. It's, it's not the world's most amazing corner class. And I think Mr. Alexander strategically decided to declare, at least in part, because of that. And he was still looking. He knew his tape. I mean, he, he seems intelligent. I think he knows his tape is kind of meh. So he's thinking, how do I overcome that? Branding. That's how I overcome it, the power of the brand. So that's, that's probably what he had in that briefcase, was probably some information, you know, brochures about himself, things like that. Isn't that time that you upgraded to a McKenzie Alexander? <laughs> so that's probably what it was. It's like a plan, like a, you know, maybe some a little pamphlet. Yeah, a little pamphlet. That's why we had that briefcase. I was reading some Deion Sanders quotes about the whole com- combine thing. It's like he said something. It's easier to be fast, but too you know, too big or too too big or too fast. But you can never be too small or either, or something like that. I'm not sure I understood any of what you said, but I do remember Deion Sanders his, his entire career uh, from his high school years onward. And it's funny. There's a an article. Uh, where he's talking to a young Gabrielle Reese, who at that time was mm-hmm. a All-American volleyball player at Florida State. He had come back to campus. He's in the league by now. He'd come back to campus for something, meet with one of his old coaches, talk to some of the guys on the football team, whatever. But he pulls her aside, and he, he explains to her, look, prime time is a creation. When I was 19 years old, I sat down and realized, okay, I'm not playing – a glamour position because at the time corner wasn't considered to be a glamour position. He decided, well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to make it a glamour position. Now, how can I do that? Well, I'm really good, but being really good by itself isn't going to make playing corner glamorous. I've got to, you know, basically create, I mean, he didn't use the word branding, but he basically creates the brand of the cover corner. Okay. And he set about creating prime time. From the clothes to the WWE style uh, promo of himself to all that stuff was built around attracting attention to the corner position, which had been a position that football people knew was important, but fans didn't particularly get all hot and bothered about corner play. And he helped to change that. So he does he does nothing else. Sort of like if Mel Kiper did nothing else with his life, he got people to pay attention to draft analysis in a way no one had before. He's not the first. I can name seven or eight guys that were doing it long before him. And he's not the best. I can name several guys who are better. But he is the guy that made it a thing in a way that no one else had before. And same thing with Dion. There's better corners than Dion Sanders. And there's he didn't invent the position, you know. <laughs> but what he did, I mean, Mike Haynes, 
was at least as good, if not better, but nobody talks about him because he was this quiet professional. But getting back to the combine and transitioning to pro day. So here's what I found funny. We were talking about revisionist history or revisionist present even. So Noah Spence runs in the 4.8s again, but magically <laughs> his times got better after he got done running. Now, I will admit it was misty and there was some wind and the weather conditions were not the best. And he was working out outside. So I give him credit for all of that. 39 degrees, misty, a little bit of wind in his face. I get all that. But the boy ran in the low 4.8s to high 4.7s on all the people that I've talked to clocks. But then magically, his time got better. And they came back in, in the 4.6 to 4.7 range, which I found fascinating. Um, now, obviously, people are going to have different times. They're all a bunch of, you know, 20 scouts hand timing. And if you were if you were to do it Olympic style or whatever, you would toss out the highest and the lowest and then average the 18 or whatever were left and, you know, and get, come up with the number that way. But they don't do that, obviously, with pro days. Just everybody runs off with their own time, reporting to their bosses. And there may have been somebody who had him in the high four sixes, but I'm willing to bet that wasn't where most people had it. I'll be sh- shocked if most of the people, like I said, I only talked to three people. So maybe if I tried to talk to all 20, I would have heard more, more different numbers. But I talked to three people who were there at the pro day and timed him, and none of the people with whom I spoke had any of his, either of his two runs at less than four seven eight was the best time I heard from somebody. But somehow magically, uh, it's been reported that he's run 4.75 or lower, which I, and who knows, you know, whatever. I mean, it's all hand times and it's all, you know, different or whatever. I mean, it is not the biggest deal in the world. It's all, but it just, I just thought it And teams are subjected as well. I, you know, whenever... Like, when people say team times, I get wary because, again, if a team really, really wants a guy, then they could have him run really fast. And then they go, oh, see, he ran fast. When he didn't really run fast, you were just so excited about him and you wanted him to run a certain time, so he ended up running that time. And that's what gets reported. Right. You know? And I'm tired of this whole... Oh, the combine, the numbers of the combine, they're, they're slower than the desert. <laughs> oh, and, and James, adding, adding on to your point, it was even worse because, I mean, <laughs> while we're all doing this, while we're all watching it, Solomon Wilcox, Maurice Jones, Drew, and then the main host, they all discussed and endorsed the idea of scouts going to pro days falling in love with a guy and writing down a fictional time and reporting it to, you know, the, the, the other scouts in the organization. They all said, yeah, yeah, that, that happens. And, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sitting here like, what? Okay, this is fine. I'm fine. You can just lie. <laughs> you know, like, is that, is that really, is that nice? Is that really doing your job? I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm just not feeling it. But, you know, you have dirty cops and you have dirty scouts out here, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it works the other way, too, in case you're wondering. I'm not going to name any names, but I happen to know of at least two scouts that I've known that because they didn't like a kid, you know, we're a little slow on their thumb, you know, on stopping the clock. 
and we're able to report, oh, yeah, this kid's a bum, and he ran slow. I didn't like the kid for whatever reason. Yeah, it happens. Oh, yes. Oh, let me, let me tell you right here, right now, it happens. Exactly. So why would you not want an equalizer, you know? I mean, I'm not saying the combine is biased or anything, but it's pretty clear that it's just their system. They're not artificially doing stuff to say, well, maybe they are, you know, maybe the agent is slipping a couple dollars to the to the time check. But I, I'm just saying... I think saying that's less that likely. It's less likely, of course, but I'm just saying, like, it, it's, again, whenever you deal with these sort of things, you want accurate numbers, you want reliable numbers, and no expense is a 4-8 guy. And it yep. doesn't matter what you saw on the tape, because as far as I'm concerned, I saw the tape as well. I never saw him as a 4-6 guy. I never yep. saw him as a 4-7 guy. I mean, maybe late 4-7s, you know, like 4-7-8 sounds about right. Because he was going up against terrible tackle. You know, like sure, he ran the arc against this tackle from so-and-so school, this other tackle Alfredo, from Kentucky. Balpo. yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, he was killing the kid from Balpo. Yeah, he did. He was killing that kid, the six three and a half. 282-pound, five five forty kid from Valpo. Um, and he went to the comp, and he went to the Senior Bowl, and was killing all those tackles. Uh, the one of the tackles didn't even do most of his tests, uh, and the other ones were some of the least athletic offensive linemen that were at the combine. So, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Now, now, I will say this though. I will say this though. Spence testing wise was very Trent Cole-ish. In fact, a faster yep. Trent Cole. But He's very Trent Cole. He's only exactly Trent Cole. About that aspect of it. So they just want to stick with, the, well, he's Khalil Mack. He didn't test like Khalil Mack. No. He doesn't do he anything like Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack. Yeah, I was about to say, no, no. He doesn't play like well, him. Well, that's all I he hear. Doesn't... That's all I hear is all these people going, well, and you're putting too much into the combine. So what if no one's been chest like Von Miller? He looks like Von Miller on tape. It's like, well, he's not Von Miller. <laughs> no, he doesn't. What? Do you, do you and know a lot of people Miller are like, look, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Do you know what Von Miller would look like if he ever played against Valparaiso? Oh my God! I mean, like they would have to at some point, like, go to a test pattern, and there'd be like somebody explaining. They'd have to is... put the punter, the kicker out there as the quarterback because. <laughs> They would run out of they'd run out of people to play the quarterback position. I mean, like, and you gotta, dude, you that game tape will be about, not safe for work. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, you get, I, I, as you know, the combine comes around. I like it because I get to learn new things. I hate it because I have to deal with all these people that don't know what they're talking about and constantly have to bug me about stuff. Where it's like. Like our, our, they're like, oh, what was well, well? The forty shouldn't matter. Shouldn't explosiveness be more important than the forty yard dash? And I'm like, dude, do you, do you know that a big part of Von Miller is speed? Well, he's you. He's both. It's gotta be roar. But his most impressive characteristic about him is speed. He ran four four seven. He was really explosive. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. He was top ten percentile in explosiveness. But his speed was top one percentile for his yeah. size. His, so his it's a combination would have been better than every single one of the tight ends at the combine, and better than almost all the oh wait, 
three or something of the wide receivers or something. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I people have to accept. I mean, overall, all the testing really did is it made me keep going and thinking to myself, man, this draft class is really going to suck for missing yeah. different reasons. Because yeah. 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 even the players that tested well are extremely unproductive. And as you know, what I do and what I do, you know, I do the production metric, but, I mean, we're talking players who were so unproductive that there hasn't been anybody. I mean, there's been like a couple of dudes, but that's it. And most of them weren't even great players. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've been I've, farming everyone into the second round, James. I've just been farming. I, I might have 40, 50. I might have 50 second round. Picks. I mean, you have, to, you have to look at it like this. You know, Ronnie Stanley tested badly. Taylor Decker didn't test better either. And people are having debates over whether they should go with Decker over Stanley. And I'm sitting here like, really? Neither. Like, Let's go with neither. Yeah. No. Just because Decker yeah. tested a little bit better than Stanley doesn't make Decker all of a sudden the super-duper athlete at the tackle position. Now, again, I'm not saying that Decker can't be a right tackle or any sort of thing like that, but his testing wasn't that great overall. I mean, he wasn't a stud athlete. He wasn't a first-round caliber, you know, athlete for what you want. At least, what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is his test. There was only like three dudes who tested like first round caliber tackle athletes. Yeah. One of the yeah. guys is the FCS guy that nobody likes, and yeah. the other guy exactly. is the guy in Conklin who I'm still warming up to because he still is like raw in terms of technique. And then the other guy, of course, Jason Spriggs is another guy that's raw in terms of technique. So it's like it's like that type of class where even the guys that are really good athletes aren't really developed that much. So, yeah, it's like you. There's risk everywhere, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and that's what I was hoping for in the combine is that some of these guys would kind of check the boxes, make me feel better. I wanted to come out of this with more first round picks, except uh, I came out with less. So um, I was, you know, I was looking, especially the receivers. The receivers really let me down. I was, you know, they said it was the, one of the slowest classes in the last five years, and it was no, like, it, it was no. believable. Um, you know, watching no. the Runya Wilson run his forty was painful. Like after the, the slow yet Wilson. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because I, I watched him and I was thinking, yeah. and he's a guy like I, I didn't get to his tape before the combine. So I was yeah. like, this guy, right. you know, he's the, probably the good. Brit, the you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was thinking maybe soon I'll get into it, and then he was, you know, meh. But the good news though is, like I said before, you know, James, he talked about Sterling Shepard. I was like, man, this dude's probably gonna run four or five, James. So that's going to be not a good thing for him, except when everyone else won the four or five. Then it's a phenomenal thing for him. So I've got, I've got, I've got him in my top five receivers now, um, and it's it's not even. I can't oh, believe you did now before. you do. <laughs> yeah, because you know me, I'm like, well, this guy's going to run four four. That guy's going to run four four. You know, <laughs> and then none of them really do. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, this is the basic thing you have to understand. I mean. Whenever a guy looks slow on tape, they're going to look even slower on the clock. You know, and most of the time when a guy looks fast on tape, they're not going to run that fast. I mean, I'm just being honest, like, because people seem to assume that they're experts in terms of how fast a guy looks on film when they really aren't. You know, 
Like they just assume that, oh yeah, he 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 looks four or five on tape. Like you're an expert at knowing what four or five looks like on tape. Yeah, no, that's especially really impossible to quantify. It's really impossible to quantify that, and most of the time. Yeah, but, but listen here, Bill. When you watch all the wide receivers we watched this year, you think to yourself, "Yeah, this guy's probably going to run four four, But that that only gets in your mind because you've watched so much tape on all these slow wide receivers that a guy that looks that really is just running four or five is is running four four in your mind because you think that this other guy is running four six, or you think this other guy is running four five, and you don't even know how fast they're running. Right. So mm-hmm. and you don't even know if it's explosiveness versus, you know, speed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm following what you're saying. I'm I'm pointing out. I don't think this was that unpredictable. That's what I'm saying. A lot of these people, like I, traveled and run, but I was going to put, throw out like a prop bet or whatever. It's like, dude, over under four six one, but he didn't run, so <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to do that, but. I don't know where people got this idea that there was so much speed there to be had. Um, the only guy that, and of course, this is the difference between the guy that runs 100 and 200 meters between, and the guy who's running 40 because he's still accelerating at 40 yards. Um, he's accelerating probably through about the 60-yard mark, in fact, guy like Kobe Listen. That's the only person where I actually was caught slightly off guard by the t- time they ran. I was very close in terms of what I expected. Almost every single one of those guys was really close to what I expected. Um, Lasko ran a little faster than I expected. Uh, there was like a handful of guys that actually legitimately surprised me, uh, but not many of them. Uh, Ken Dixon ran slightly slower. I mean, he was, but not a lot slower. I was expecting him to be about 4.54. I think it was like 4.57. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth But Dixon. I mean... Uh, there weren't there weren't that many shockers to me. Uh, Deronte Wilson was a little. I mean, I thought he was slow. I didn't know he was, he was quite that slow. Yeah. But I knew he was slow. I wasn't a shock. I was like, oh, Chase it's horrible. Even... <laughs> yes, he knew he, But I knew he was. I mean, this was a surprise. I knew he was slow. People were comparing him to uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, yeah, and some other people too. But I was like, no, he's slower than them. <laughs> like all the people they brought up. No, I knew he was slower. Than, Whoever you're bringing up, he's slower than that. Now, I know he was like four nine slow, but I knew he was four seven something slow. I mean, I was expecting to run a little better, but not much better. Then we've got Duke Williams, who you know. <sighs> hey I guys, invite me to the combine. Invite me, and please invite me because I, I can't wait to so show you guys this four seven. I, I have I to show you guys this four seven. I was so mad that he was even invited in the first place. I was just sitting there angry. Angry, like why? Why would you even? Ugh, ugh. I just it was Todd Lavi. Let's call Captain Washington yeah. a lot. I guess he must have must have paid someone, James. Must have paid but I mean, if I'm if I'm Michael Thomas, the the Michael Thomas that I like, and I'm sitting here watching this, I'm watching <laughs> the Runya Wilson. And, I'm like, and the, I put the, the wrong agent. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, this is, I guess, I understand. Michael Thomas on tape is really good, but I saw this a little bit, as I keep saying, because most of the people that were like, hey, Michael Thomas is good, were like Bill, and then Waldman kind of caught him a little bit late, and then everybody in retro is like, oh, we like this guy. 
and but he didn't get invited to the Senior Bowl, and he didn't get invited to the Shrine Game. He got invited to the NFLPA game. And I know from experience that if you get invited to the NFLPA game, half of those people are going to be in the CFL, and the other half, maybe oh. they get invited to the Shrine Game, maybe. You know, if they're lucky. Right, you may get the call up. May get the call up to the strike game. Yeah, um, I mean, there was a handful of guys that were at the NFLPA game that got invited to the combine. But having looked at who was at the combine, like I'm even more mad now. You know what I mean? Like now, I was kind of mad before when I looked at some of the guys that I liked that didn't get invited. Now I'm incensed. Now I'm livid. Like really, you you decided to bring this instead? This? Yes. This is what you decided yes. was better. Because they were all from major schools. I mean, we can just go down the list. We got Oregon here. We got Notre Dame. And I'm not talking about Fuller. I'm talking about Chris Brown. We got a Stanford here. We got a Rutgers. We got a we got the Cal Carolina. Bullshit. We got all the Cal guys. All the Cal guys are there. We got, a, a, we got a Cal guys. We got our token token Mountain West Conference guy. Uh, we got lots of Cincinnati because people really like Gunnar Keel in the NFL. Uh, we got our uh, bowling you got your guy. Mac. You got to have your Mac guys too, James. Don't forget about oh, those. Yeah, you got your token Mac guys. Yeah, you got a couple of those guys. Uh, which some of the, like Roger Lewis, man, I got to tell you, for a guy who was hyped up as a deep threat, he's got to run fast and then doesn't uh. run fast. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Like I'm seeing him play out here. Um, you know, he, he stretched. Uh, you know, Northern's defense a little bit. He he was the Will, Will Fuller of the MAC conference. Like people loved him. Um, he was a deep threat, and he he caught the ball better. You know, he had better hands. So I was just as shocked as you are when he dropped that forty because I I thought he'd hit four four, even you know high four four. But I mean that was just whew, that that's not good. But um, he no. was he he excelled. And his tape was very good. Yeah, but we got the Floridas, we got the, you know, we got the, yeah, we got the, we got some Florida in here, we got some Oklahoma, you know, we got our Ohio State guys, like, it's just a who's who of FBS guys. Did Jalen Marshall's 4-6 surprise anyone? I was, I found my No, I was thinking of people, think of people on my list of people who had no business uh, (laughs) being there. Oh, I was so mad about that, too. Like, first of all, go back to school, Jalen Marshall. Second of all, and, and get some decent tape. Like, whoo, whoo. So here's this kid who is probably a practice squad guy. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Uh, oh, Jalen Marshall, no. If he had to stay in, like, another year or two, man, I thought he was going to be – he could have been, like, a second-round, first-round guy after two years with his skill set. <laughs> but, um, but to just leave now and become this, I just – I was surprised that he ran a 4-6. I'm just going to be real about it. But I know the lateral What's game – What's to work on the railroad? Yeah, yeah. I, I know his, his the lateral game is his type of game, so I, I get it. All speed wouldn't be a thing, but – it just kind of makes me think, like, uh, what's what's next for him? You know, what's uh, I mean, what do you do? You know, lots and lots of pain and suffering and trying to pay bills. It's either bad that stuff it, like you that. Rolls Royce uh, playing alongside his other buddies, and I don't think it's gonna end that way. He could join somebody's right. entourage. You know, maybe there you go. Like, right. 
He could be like a football version of a hype man. Ah, maybe a future ball guy. Okay, you know, there's a career in that. You know, ball guy. Maybe <laughs> just, you know, yeah, he could learn how to. He could. Yeah. He could learn there's how always. to cook and be their chef or something like that. Oh yeah, there we go. Okay. You know, there's always that teammate that makes it into the entourage. You know, and that one team isn't quite doing. It's possible. Yeah, I. I uh, I understand Ohio State was a good team, but there were too many Ohio State guys there. That was one of my various pet peeves. Um, I was enraged about Jalen Marshall's inclusion. I was equally displeased um, with the kill. Like I said, the kill Williams. Really, really, is that where we are? Is that where we're about now? Yeah, man. Because. <laughs> because why not? <laughs> he was very he was, he was very popular for a couple of weeks so, last year. <laughs> yes, yes he was. And then he just started setting fire to things like bridges and burning. Mm, and maybe other things too. But, yeah, and maybe other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe other things too. Yeah. Heyo, but yeah, I. I, I was displeased. Okay, so moving into pro day season, uh, pro days is hit. Uh, of course, we already talked about Eastern Kentucky, and there were other players, believe it or not, at Eastern Kentucky's pro day, uh, not named Spence. Really? So, okay. at least one, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the guys that I'm interested in is they have a linebacker named Dan Moden, who is probably you know sort of a special teamer slash reserve kind of guy, but. You didn't hear anything about him. He had a really good pro day. <laughs> you know, some of the people I've talked to said, you know, we came, obviously we came for the Spence, but we stayed for the Monet. I'm like, this kid, smart, made defensive calls, and, they're, you know, has a high understanding of, you know, football, uh, tested better than some people expected, tested better than the guests of honor or whatever, than the guy that everybody was supposed to come to see, you know, quiet as it's kept, as it has been kept quiet. Um, as it kept silent, in fact. Uh, that's the other thing that's sort of interesting to me, like which guys, pro days, like they're all there at the same pro day, but we hear about certain guys, not even always the best guy there, while some other dude that no one cares about destroys the pro day. We don't, unless you know somebody who was there, they say, hey, there's this other dude who's testing out of, his, out of his mind. You wouldn't even hear about some of these other players. I mean, you would think Spence is the only guy there. Frustrating. Um that wasn't even the only pro day of the day, believe it or not, guys. Did you know there were other pro days? What I'm interesting to look find out is, or watch is UCLA's pro day with uh, Miles Jack and Kenny Clark and Paul Carson. Yeah, well, well, first of all, we can see if, if Jack is, is good to go on all drills. And, I'm hearing, you know, that things are, are coming along with him. Well, but, Jackson, but getting Jordy, he's been cleared since January, but his yeah. agent told him not to run. Sure. Sticking with today, because believe it or not, there's other pro days. Today, this day, this very day, the 4th of March, there were several pro days, including some really good performances. And, you know, because of this mono-focus on one particular guy, I think people have missed out on what else is going on out there. Uh, Arizona State had a couple of guys have a, have really good performances in their pro days, including uh, Carrington, who is a 
sort of a nickel corner guy that I've, I've liked all year long. And I think, you know, people haven't talked that much about, but he had a very little explosive, caught the ball well in all of the, the ball drills. Carrington, I don't know, five ten and change, five eleven. I mean, he's not a huge. Like I said, so I say he's predicted to nickel because he's not exactly huge. It's not so much his height though; it's the issue is he's that he's a sort of a physically slender guy, he's wispy, whatever term you want to use. Um, at least he has some yeah. speed to him. I'm sorry, what was that? Deion, at least he has some speed to him. Yeah, Deion Sanders said is you can either be short or you can be slow. You can't be short and slow to be in the NFL. Well. I mean, you should never be either one if it's up to you, but you don't get else to, to choose that. Usually it happens without your permission. But uh, Carrington is a guy, like I said, who I could really see fitting in as one of those, you know, nickel-dime defender kind of guys. He's got good hips, good feet, good speed, uh, pretty good hands. Uh, I think the only thing I would say is he's not, you know, the most physically imposing character, but I think he's going to find a way. At one point, there was a Marco Bercovici movement, and it died somewhere, I guess, around the fifth or sixth week of the season. But I used, but there was some like sort of groundswell support around him earlier in the year, and then you know, like I said, it went away. But fans of Michael Bercovici, he apparently um, had a good day. No balls hit the ground during his throwing session. He ran in the four eights, and I think he measured at. Uh, something like 5'11 and 7'8 or something like that. But, you know, he's a guy that probably will find his way maybe up north or maybe to arena. But there were people who really liked him at one point. And like I said, I don't know what happened to them. I haven't heard from any of them recently. But I heard a lot from them early in the season. And then, like I said, about around the halfway point of the season, just, you know, Michael Bercovici Twitter just sort of fell silent. Uh, Devin Lucian apparently looks really good. They, you know, obviously scouts put him through some wide receiver drills. Uh, he had a good day in terms of testing, in terms of his uh, broad and forty and his uh, vertical. And once again, you know, didn't didn't drop any balls. Apparently, not a single ball hit the ground. Like I said, all day at uh, Arizona State's pro day. So there were, you know, some impressive performances there. Um, there were a few other pro days. I think there was something like four or five pro days. That's the, the exactly I mean, I mean yeah. there was uh, Alabama State, Arizona State, East yep. Kentucky, Kentucky, Nebraska, Troy, and that was about it. Yes, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. Nebraska had uh, a pro day. Yep. So how uh, did what? Malik Collins look? Soft. He looks soft. Plush. Maybe the preferred term. Yeah. Or cuddly. Yeah, cuddly, fluffy, whatever the the current term is, yeah. (laughs) I mean, not that you have to be, you know, ripped and cut up and everything to be a good player, but he's definitely a guy that, you know, has – he's comfortable. He's got a comfortable build. Uh, DJ when is Ole Miss's pro day? And not for another what week and a half or something. But getting getting back to Arizona State, um, DJ Foster apparently, and once again, you can always take pro day times with a grain of thought. Salt people had him between about um, 
441 and 447. Uh, I'm more inclined to believe he's, you know, a low 4.5s kind of guy, but whatever. Um, but he looks good. I think he's a running back also, but whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what I think. Uh, still, he caught the ball extremely well and was quick and all that good stuff. I mean, what did you expect? That's not the question. It's his off-field and him quitting on his team. T.J. Foster? Yeah. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. But still, uh, like I said, um, he had a four, five, seven time on him at the combine. So if you sort of account for sort of the my classic point twelve difference because of one, you're much more well rested and you're slept in your own bed and all that good stuff. And then of course probably a, a faster surface that equates to about a four four five anyway. So I would expect him to have been around four four five at pro day if he was four five seven at the combine. Uh, let's see. Uh, Vaitiasilo, uh, also made some, made a good impression on some people. He's a, you know, run, sort of a run, you know, a run suited, a guy suited to, in fact, their offense, as I said, didn't really shore up his, show his best qualities. He would have been better off in a more, you know, powery kind of offense, but uh, he apparently had a pretty good day at the office as well. Um, Westerman, you know, basically just hopped off and greeted and whatever. He didn't do any of the physical testing. Uh, Berkovici threw 45 passes. Um, and apparently somebody got their hands on all 45, and then I guess there were maybe a couple of drops. About 42 of the passes ended up, you know, being completed. And he worked all areas, you know, short, medium, long. Um, showed that he could, you know, three, five, seven. He did go from under, you know, under a center. Obviously, there was no, you know, pass rush or anything. But uh, nobody had a broom or whatever. He didn't do any of that stuff. But he did work from under uh, under center to show that he could, you know, work from under center. Um, I don't know if. They, I'm assuming they measured his hands. I don't know his hand size. Uh, he is a smaller guy, so I don't know if, you know, whatever. Um, but Lucian was timed, being about who you asked, between about uh, 443 and about 455. So nice little, nice little spread there. But, um, you know, like I said, uh, he's got decent size, uh, six one and three quarters, about 196 pounds. And uh, for him, the question was health. You know, he had been nicked up on and off almost throughout the entire season, so it was good just to see him show up and be healthy. Um, let's see. I mean, Tiafilo, the giant Samoan guard, uh, knocked out 43 reps. Uh, at 225, which would have, had he been to the combine, would have been the the best of the combine, besting his teammate who had, you know, tied at 34 for the best. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, Antonio Antonio Longino Longino, however it's pronounced, was another guy that scouts um, 
said that they, you know, liked the way he moved around. He, he did some uh, a little bit of pass rush and bag drill stuff and, and also did some pass drop stuff. You know, he's a sort of, little sort of hybrid. His position is, in fact, the devil backer position, which has been played by uh, such luminaries in the history of their school as Pat Tillman and uh, and Anna Marcelletta. Um You mentioned Troy as well, didn't you, Jim? Troy was kind of, first of all, I'm pleased at the attendance that they had. Troy's pro day was very well attended. Um, I think half the team, 16 teams or something like that, were were in uh, in attendance. Troy, of course, has produced most famously a couple of pretty darn good pass rushers, amongst them, of course, uh, O.C. Humanera and Demarcus Way. I don't have anybody quite like that on campus at the moment, uh, but they do have some decent talent. And, and almost always do. And uh, I wonder exactly who it was. I mean, well, like I said, I, was, I heard that, you know, they they definitely made a strong impression. I wonder who it was they sort of went specifically to see. There's usually a particular player that people are most interested in, generally, it's in general, when um, when you get that many schools at their uh, – at, at, at Troy's Pro Day. And Troy's, like I said, a decent program. It's not like they're, you know, some little podunk program, but I don't I don't know. I don't think you usually see 17. Well, you see, I guess you do sometimes see 16, 17 guys, I guess. Well, obviously, they have more than that when they have you know, Ozzy and Urine, Mark Square. You know, they have big-time Pro Day, uh, Pro Day turnouts for those guys. You know, that obviously would be, you know, everybody has to be there for that. You can't not show up uh, when everyone needs pass rushers, and when there's a pass rusher, you got to be there. Uh, let's see. Oh, right, Nebraska. Um, they, of course, had a couple of guys that were combine, including a fullback. We always talk about the, the death of the fullback sort of as an entire position group. Uh, so I guess I semi-kind of sort of have to root for the, um, you know, fullbacks. But uh, I was surprised by the sheer number of fullbacks. There are five to the combine. I can't remember the last time five fullbacks, even though some of those guys aren't really fullbacks. But I can't remember the last time five people listed or designated as fullbacks were invited to the combine. That's 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 a high number, but uh, Vin, uh, uh, Genovich or whatever uh, was the uh, one of the he and Collins, I guess, were the discussion. The guys being discussed uh, by the NFL scouts, and then obviously there were some other guys that they they checked out. Um, no mind-boggling, mind-blowing, amazing performances amongst the uh, amongst those in attendance. But like I said, you have to at least notice when there's a fullback sighting. Uh, since there's usually not that many fullbacks to be sighted. Uh, let's see, sort of. 
finishing up, I guess, sort of the roundup for this particular day. And obviously, we'll let's see. Oh, let me see. I'm trying to remember. I'm missing a couple of schools. Let's see. Respiratory. Uh, so already covered. Uh, I covered it in state. Let's see. Who I left out? Who else I left out? Uh, let's see. Is there anybody else that, let's see, I'm trying to see anybody else I needed to mention or should mention amongst the players that, I mean, we could discuss Collins, but I think, I think we'd probably be okay if we didn't, right? I'm trying to see anybody else that we needed to absolutely possibly not miss on. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, Collins already did all this stuff at the combine. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm trying to there's anything else. Uh, there wasn't really that many pro days. Yeah, there's only a handful of those. I'm trying to think of some of the... I'm trying to think of anybody else I needed to mention. Um, I like DJ Foster more than most. I'm glad that, you know, whether it's a real or imaginary, I'm glad that the perception is that he had a good day. Um, I don't think anything else worth mentioning about today's dudes uh, that were, or the, um, uh, oh, oh, Vanderbilt, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, there it is, um, Stephen Shoy um, was credited with 23 bench reps, a 32 and a half inch vertical, and a 46540. Uh, or between 465 and 471, depending upon who you ask. And I can't almost forgot about him. Um, at this particular, I mean, this is the year where everybody's whining about the lack of tight ends. He was one of the people I was surprised that wasn't invited to the combine. He, uh, Brandon Devers from uh, Duke, Darian Griswold, and Kevon Cartwright. And who knows, you know, who how those guys might have actually done, but I was a little caught off guard that none of those guys were uh were actually invited. Um yeah, like I said, a bit of a surprise to me. With the you know, not the most amazing tight end class that those I don't know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think at least one or two of those guys probably would have outperformed uh because I think Shoy's time would have been amongst the fastest. I mean, obviously, you have to norm for the fact that it wouldn't have been probably that fast if he'd done that at the combine. But the 23 bench reps is probably about what he would have done at the combine, which I think would have put him right at the top. Um, he would have been third. The, third, okay. Tied for a second. Okay. Got it. Um, 
32 and a half inch vert isn't amazing, but nope. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's not. Um, trying to think of, is it, oh, um, the linebacker. Well, Weatherly, I think, did all his stuff at the combine, so I don't keep doing anything additional. Yep. But that's the guy we haven't really discussed, and I don't know. I mean, it's a guy that I've sort of thought was interesting. Uh, he's an interesting physical type. Well, I guess I'll start with you. When you look at a guy like him, first of all, based on your numbers, based on the stuff that you do, Jim, what do you think a guy like um, Weatherly could be? Um, practice squad player. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe he gets lucky and actually makes a 53, you know, if he uh, gets drafted relatively high. Like, say, if he gets drafted fourth round because a team looks at his numbers and goes, hey, he doesn't suck, you know. And then, uh, go, oh, he's got decent size on him, and we need three, four outside linebackers, and all we have is this little Trent Cole guy, and... <laughs> Yeah, we we need somebody uh this guy. You know. So Yeah. I mean, that that's pretty much what I mean, fairly unproductive career at Vanderbilt for the most part in terms of market share. Right. Uh, and as an athlete, he's uh good not great. In fact, if you want to know how productive he was, he he was 44th in solo tackle market share, uh 28th in sack market share and 45th in uh, TFL market share. That's percentile uh, scores. So, uh, and you want to, with those particular scores, you want to be about 70 to 75. So he's kind of way off from uh, special status and barely starter status. Like not even like really starter. We're talking like spot starters. Uh, you know, weird, uh, random events, as I like to call them. You know, which happens <laughs> sometimes. You know, like uh, Jacquee Smith, right? I never thought Jacquee Smith would be a starting defensive tackle at all in his career, and he was one for at least 16 games last year, I believe. So oh. He wasn't very good, but he started. You know. Well, he's still getting the cash those game checks, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Will he in the well, future? I I don't know if he will in the future, though. You know, right place, right time. You know, you're on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent at a position, so you end up starting. Happens a lot on bad teams, especially. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a really bad defense, for the most part. In terms of the other guys on the team. You know, because they had good guys with people. Got it. I like that. <laughs> well, I like Choi. I mean, I, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I was surprised he wasn't invited, uh, and especially with what the tight ends did. I mean, they, you know, in terms of the bench rub stuff and 
Oh, I hope he. I know Pete Smith tried to make an excuse. So, well, the NFL doesn't care, so they just told the guys not to, like, not to. You don't want to be strong, right? <laughs> like you, we, we like you. We like you know. If you want to be weak, go ahead. You know, yeah, it's kind of odd that they uh, would uh, persuade them not to practice bench reps, and that's what they're doing about. Which I don't know. And like I said, I look at the trends as they are now. I'm not trying to do some sort of theory and base all my information on theories. I'm just basing it on the facts. And the facts is the bench reps were pretty pitiful at the combine. Yep. For tight end position. And the running backs out bench the tight ends, just to put that in a perspective for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean my boy Teller Urban was out benching like uh five or six or not five, but at least four of the tight ends, and he's 192 pounds, <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, not the strongest group ever. Yeah, I mean, they had a safety that did all right, I mean, uh, Andrew Williamson there, another guy not very productive, probably practice squad guy, but ran 4.48, supposedly. 35-inch for 10-4 broad, okay. Short shells, well, eh, but 3.681, so that's not bad, you know. Now, he was incredibly unproductive at the safety position, but, hey, that doesn't stop the NFL from drafting them and sticking them out there and telling them to do stuff. You know, get off the beat safety. He could be a cornerback with this stuff, too, so... That's a possibility. I don't know. Yeah, there haven't been that many pro days, you know. And as right. you know, I don't like to talk about pro days until about two weeks or three weeks after, because normally at that point, that's when the real numbers start to come out. Most of the stuff you hear uh, <laughs> from Twitter and from even players is not true. Yeah, or no, I try to I try to bypass Twitter and players. I mean, sometimes, you know, they're, the sources are solid, but you know, often they're not. I mean, if I know if like there's somebody from a reporting organization that I trust that's there, and you know, they DM me about a guy and say, "Hey, you know, here's what I had on them." It's like, okay, you know. Or if there's a scout, a person from one of the teams that says, hey, this is what I had on them, I usually figure that's at least somewhat solid. But, yeah, I mean, obviously you got to be suspicious of the kid who's from the campus newspaper, you know, who's giving you their time. <laughs> not that right. they are, you know, not they might, who knows, they might be the most right time, but you just have to be careful because, you know, it's a 19, 20-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. Being accurate, and I mean with Noah Spence as well. I mean he he was two forty eight at the uh, at the pro day, right? So if he did run four seven eight, it's pretty much the same speed score. Yep, because he lost four pounds. You know, trying to pull Allen Robinson. I see what you're trying to do, Spence. <laughs> well, I'm sure. It was explained to him, you've got to run faster. Okay. Well, I know how to do that. 
Yeah, it's kind of like what uh, uh what's that guy uh, TCU linebacker last year? Paul uh, Dawson. Yeah, Paul Dawson. He did kind of a similar thing. I mean, I get it. Uh, you know, they want to run faster. I I just think it's what they what they know, what the players don't realize is that when you're losing weight, especially drastic weight, like four pounds is like okay, you know, but like 10 pounds, because that's how much Allen Robinson, like, tried. He, he went from, like, 220 at the combine to 207. To two, two, eight or two, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was. He lost a fair amount. drastic yeah. difference in terms of, uh, uh, you know, metric number stuff. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not that surprised about Spanish, but, you know, people can, you know, people can do what they want to do. Yes. Yes, they can. Uh, they can. And there's a lot of, as I said before, I think that there's a lot of uh, people wanting the class to be good, and then they're, like, coming to the uh, realization that it may not be that good. Yeah. Especially for different guys. Ashawn Robinson, you know, for example, you know, stuff like that. Right. I mean, I think there's parts of the class that are good. I think it's, it's there are a lot. Especially like three techniques. If you need a three technique defensive tackle, you should be able to find one of those. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It depends. And there's guys, I mean, they may not have been invited to the combine, but there's guys that I think are going to be good. I think Mike Rose. I don't know why no one likes Mike Rose. And maybe there's something I'm missing or whatever. But NC State. But, yeah. I don't know. He's not um he doesn't flash athleticism and stuff on tape. So that's one I can chalk up to. He's a good player, it's just he isn't uh, very flashy. Yeah, well it's funny because people say the same about your guy Joe Schobert, who I don't know how much stock to put well, People in are starting but, to live up to him now, you know. They're, yeah, they're, finally, they're waking up to Joe Schobert. <laughs> I'll take the PFF to, you know, throw a couple of numbers out there and go, he was good. And everyone's like, oh, so he is good. Right, you know, stuff like that. I mean, he's a good player. Um, All I was kind of taking away is I was kind of just looking at him more as sort of a pursuit linebacker sort of thing slash Sam linebacker kind of role um, in a 4-3. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a good player. Um, right. But, you know, it's just he is a twitchy. Ah, like yes. to say. The dreaded you twitchy. Know, which is basically uh, he's white. So Yes, that is basically what that means. And they didn't realize how to, you know, put the words together. Like, we can't just say he's white. People will <laughs> criticize us. We must twitchy. That's it. Is it twitchy? Yeah, stuff like that. He's a smart, hard worker. And gritty. And gritty. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, there's definitely some three techs. Uh, there's there's some defensive tackle types that tested all right. But uh, uh, none of them were 
uh, like I said, a lot of the guys that were productive didn't test well, and a lot of guys that were really athletic weren't very productive. So it's kind of like that. Well, okay. Well, sticking with with that sort of nexus, like getting production and and athletic ability to meet, who were the guys that did the best job of having both amongst the people that you 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 know run the numbers? Well, I mean, Serge Shepard's one of those. Oh, yeah. You That's know, another person guy that, that people are sort of waking up to despite that he's been dominant for an entire year. But, yes, go ahead. I mean, he's been really good. I mean, market share production-wise, he was about 40%. A lot of people talk about age stuff. But, I mean, Devin, like, you know, Devin Punch is a 21. Him being 21 years old last year doesn't change the fact that he's not that great of a wide receiver. Sorry, people, but that's just the thing is age is not talent. Age is about, again, finding prodigies. And anybody who watches Devin Funches the tape would realize he's not a prodigy. He's just a very tall, you know, very big-ish wire receiver that runs really slow but is explosive. Um, but I think with Shepard, I mean, in terms of everything he did, Tested really tested decently as athlete, very explosive, very fast for for his size. He was above average speed for his size, which is exactly what he needed to do. Um, and uh, he had the production to match. So, like, he's one of those guys that, again, he was my number one wide receiver uh, throughout the process. And he's proving why, at least to me, um, why that's the case. Uh, trying to find some other people. William Fuller kind of, sort of, you know, I mean. Well, tell me what you mean by that, because you're not so sure of yourself. The biggest fear with him is bench reps really bad, yeah. uh, explosiveness really bad in terms of his lower body strength. Stuff, stuff we already figured was going to happen bad, but he runs really, really fast, and he also was relatively productive. I don't I mean again Johnny Knox was all right, you know. Now of course I think Johnny Knox was a little stronger than Fuller, but Yikes. I mean <laughs> that's I I'm just I'm I'm you know, I remember Johnny Knox in my head. Like I'm remembering him and I'm like, Yeah, he was more powerful. I mean he was not like the strongest guy, but he, he wasn't like a pushover, you know, like Fuller. So well, you know I think it, his lower body I think yeah, I think it his lower body strength probably was greater. Yeah, but with Fuller, it's both. It's, it's. I mean, Fuller only had like ten reps on the bench, and you know, and with that four oh nine, which is you know four oh nine out of five eighty four, in terms of explosive lower body strength, that's just really bad. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough sort of tough sledding, I guess. Uh, Leonta Carew from Rutgers did do short short three counts. This was a pretty good combine, but of course, all right. That may not okay. I'm gonna say that may not be the case necessarily. I mean, okay, so. I mean, I can do this right now just to figure out the percentile. So yeah, he was 83rd in explosiveness, and let me just figure out the percentile there. Yeah, so he was like 85 percentile in explosiveness, 87 percentile in Speed for a size, so not bad. 
the big issue I have is he didn't do the short shuttle three cone, which means he's probably going to run a, a poor time. Um, if he does something okay, he could have David Boston-ish sort of athleticism. Um, you know, not exactly as fast as David Boston, but similar from that kind of perspective. But, um, yeah, he, you know, again, explosive speed wide receiver. I just don't know how bad that Churchill three count is because yeah, I've, I've seen his tape and uh, he is explosive. He is fast on tape, but he isn't exactly very fluid on tape. So that's, that's kind of a, a worry, I guess, that I have about him. Um, but, you know, he was fairly productive, uh, but also missed a lot of games. So it's kind of tough to say exactly uh, what's what with him. Um but other than that, that's out of all the wide receivers, that's about it. You know, at least with wide right. receivers, because Todd Boyd was really productive with putting up five hundreds and everything. You know, in terms of rankings, so it was not a very good day um, for Boyed. Uh, no sir, no sir, not at all. <laughs> Guys, he touched really well. I mean, like Devin, could you say again, was Allen Robinson like a carbon copy of Allen Robinson? But production wise, there's two guys, Wes Walker and Lavernius Cole. That's it. It's since 1976 in terms of his market share production. So you're talking about, and athleticism won't save him. I know a lot of people seem to think that athleticism comes in and goes, da, 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 we're going to save you and make you productive flair, but that it doesn't work that way. Fellas, especially at wide receiver, you know, where it's, you know, athleticism isn't the biggest deal in the world, but it is, it, it's not something that it could just turn you into something, you know. Um, yeah, and of course we already already talked about Michael Thomas, uh, the the other Michael Thomas, the Brandon LaFell Michael Thomas. So that, guy. Yes, that one, the Brandon LaFell one, yeah. Yeah, faster though. So maybe that'll make make him better. I don't know. I mean, would a faster Brandon LaFell make him better? I don't know. Um, tight end wise, I mean, none of the tight ends were really productive. Uh, Austin Hooper was relatively productive. And as I said before, Titan production isn't really the biggest deal in the world, but I mean, Hooper was relatively productive-ish. You know, Hemingway for FCS levels fairly was relatively productive. Um, Jarrell Adams was relatively productive, but most of those guys aren't very strong. That's the biggest thing that came out of the tight ends. Was none of them were really that powerful. Um, Edge-wise, uh, Ogba is I'm I'm gonna have a hard time with Ogba um, because well, it's funny you should mention him. Good. Uh, I think he's one of the few guys that actually kind of checked some of those boxes. I think you gotta you gotta get him. I mean, he did, but I just go back and watch the tape and I go, here we have a guy who is not that far off from a guy like Mario Williams in terms of athleticism and yet you watch the tape and you see the explosives, you see the speed, but you see a guy who just doesn't know how to 
convert that into elite level production. No. I mean, but the production in itself, I mean, it's still relatively sound, right? I mean, he probably hit your. I mean, it's both the levels. Huh? I mean, his his production is both the level. I mean, we're talking 80s, about 80, 80, 80, you know, 80s, 79 ish. I mean, his production isn't bad. bad. Okay. Okay. It's just, I, I just have a hard time kind of. I could like, I, it's, I'm just having a tough time with Oba, I guess, because I, I went back and went, obviously went back and watched the tape of him, and I do see the explosive, I do see the speed, and all that kind of stuff, but the stiffness does kind of affect things for him, on top of the fact that he just isn't very refined, but it's just a, t- it's just a toughie for me. I don't, I don't know, for in terms of uh, um. What he is, I mean, he could be like a Michael Johnson, Antoine Odom kind of guy, uh, because he's more athletic than those guys. But I'm just kind of grappling with what you know. What do you do when you have information that changes to a certain extent? Because like Bosa, athleticism-wise, which I've been telling everybody, is kind of Ely. Um, and when you think back to Ely, Ely was a guy. You know, all the people that go Bosa should move to three tech, right? or whatever. Uh, everybody was saying the same thing about Ely. Now, of course, mm-hmm. Bosa was more productive than Ely coming out, uh, much more productive. But uh, Ely wasn't exactly elite productive in anything. I mean, Bosa, I mean. And, uh, you know, the speed is something that does show up on tape on occasion. Um, I mean, he is explosive. He is very dynamic. Churchill sure, sure, three times really good. But the issue that I'm dealing with is here you've got an Ogba that could be, like, a special talent at the position, and then you have a guy in Bosa who's more developed than Ogba in almost everything in terms of hands and everything else, doesn't quite have elite speed or elite athleticism, but he's going to be a guy that right out of the gate is going to be, you know, solid, at least with me. So that's my real dilemma. I guess because I've had Ogbe sort of the top five Ed Rush guy through most of the process. It's just now you have this sort of thing here, you know, in Ogbe, where it's like, you know, I mean, both are still my top Ed Rusher right now, but it's just a lot of, uh, you know, this is this is this is where number stuff gets a little iffy, you know, you start to question yourself a lot, but yeah. Um, but, I mean, Oga pretty much does stuff. Everybody. Tape is always there for you. Yeah, I know. But it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else was all right. I mean, Nassib was kind of where I expected him to be in terms of, like, a Ryan Denny, a Ryan Denny type of guy, uh, which yeah. is pretty much how he tested. Um, you know, stuff like that. Oakman was bad. Now, let me uh, ask you about that. What? Yeah. What, what is his athletic profile? When you break him down, because he's, a, you know, the guy is hotly debated. Uh, strengths, weaknesses. Uh, what are the things that, you know, are average or above average or below average or terrible or whatever? How does he break down as a prospect based on your, your work? Well, he was 57th in explosiveness for his size out of 335 edge rushers in the six-four or higher range. 
but he was 232nd and 231st in dynamic speed, uh, and speed was 232 out of 355. So he has significantly below average speed and significantly below average dynamic speed. And there, and with this particular profile, so we're talking about a guy who's very explosive but not fast and dynamic. Um, right. There have been guys with that profile like Greg Hardy, Justin Tuck, Cameron Wembley, Mario Williams, but those guys all had above average speed and above average dynamic speed for their size. Um, there hasn't been a single starting edge player with this particular profile with his overall athleticism since 1998. Okay. So, um, and and the same goes for a lot of these other guys like. Romeo Aquora from uh, uh, Notre Dame, similar athletic profile. Uh, the Sterling Bailey, similar sort of stuff. Giorgio Newberry, I don't know why he was there, but similar sort of things. I was, was going to say, yeah, I remember seeing his name and thinking, really? Yeah, it was a weird day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And of course, Gian Ward was kind of. You know, Alex Okafor, you know. Oh, really? Not as, but not as big. You know, Ward is kind of like a a five tech in terms of size. Yeah, but that's what people are not very powerful. Yeah. So, um, Alex McAllister didn't have a really great day. He was very thin and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, Shalit Calhoun was a similar situation, below average explosiveness, below average speed, decent dynamic speed, kind of Okafor-ish. You know, so. If you get to the shorter areas, um, Spence, as I said, Trent Cole, um, is kind of his athleticism. Um, He did pass FCS level production thresholds, but most of the guys in the FCS level that, who pass that production threshold are just, you know, junior galette, right? Starter, mm-hmm. productive guys, but nothing special. Except for Jared Allen, who was uh, 99 across the board. Like, Jared Allen was one of one of one in terms of his market share when he was playing at the FCS level. Um, nobody's ever come close to Jared Allen's stuff. Um, I think he like he literally dominated like like yeah. dominated more so than any FBS player ever has. I mean, you know, at the FCS level. So, um, uh, Shaq Lawson had a really good day. Uh, he was, uh, I mean, his production is more in, in line with the guys like Tom Bahali. That might be why everybody's starting to compare him to that guy. He's not as powerful yeah. though. Doesn't no. have as big as heavy hands as him. Yeah, um, super small. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and of course, Marcus Washington was another guy. I believe I was kind of thinking of. He he's weird to me because like uh, he, here's how he basically tested. He was 78th in explosiveness, 88th in speed, and 93rd in dynamic speed. He is really good dynamic speed for his size. Um, to put that into perspective, these are guys like Adrian Claiborne, Chris Long. Uh, Clay Matthews, Charles Suggs, you know, all those types of guys. Uh, and comparison-wise, Claiborne is kind of a really 
terms of size and everything else, just kind of, kind of that. Um, but I don't know what really to do. I mean, Chad Watson kind of had more Pro Bowl level production than All Pro production. Um, but uh, he's he's another guy that I'm kind of trying to figure out what to do with him, uh, I guess, in terms of all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, uh, Charles Tapper. I know that you, Dylan, <laughs> had a lot of early love for him. <laughs> you, you've had a lot of uh, pain with him. I know he's uh, he's, he, he's a femme fatale type of prospect for you. You know, um, he just keeps hurting you. You know, he's telling <laughs> you to come back, but uh, you know his his production is not that great. Um, he didn't do the right. short shell three cone at the combine. So I can't really definitively say how he'll test, but just it, let's say he doesn't do a very good Churchill three count. I mean, they were talking about a guy like Charles Grant or uh, Javon Hay. I don't know if you remember those people. Javon Hay. I, I really yeah. like Javon Hay coming out. Yeah. But, I mean, if he doesn't have a really good Churchill three count, so those would be sort of types of things that he could – uh, possibly be. If he does a really good short shoulder three count, then you're talking about a guy like Daquan Bowers, for example. You know, uh, in terms of as an athlete. Uh, Jason Babin, you know, people like that. So it, it's a... Uh, I, I know. I, I'm, you're trying to fall back in love, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's sort of what he's like. Can DJ was... Interesting, because I because I ran them through the DNs, I ran them through the tackles. Because now, was my Darnell yeah. Dockett thing, at least athletically speaking, kind of close or or no, how, how, no, 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 no. okay. <laughs> um, DJ was uh, kind of Brian Robinson, uh, Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, from Texas. If he was an edge yeah. guy, um, okay. if he was a tackle. Then we're talking about a guy like uh, Sheldon Richardson, uh, Broderick Bunkley, Tyson Alualu. Know that oh, guy? Okay. Yeah, that went really high in the draft. Yeah, um, number ten overall or something. Yeah, it was yeah. Shocked. Tough break <laughs> for the Jags. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Victor Ochi, and this is a guy actually, because I, I went on a show today, this morning actually, American Sports Network, talked about Ochi. Uh, he's Daryl Tapp in terms of athleticism. Yes, and um, in terms of his build, in terms of style of play, I mean, he really everything. Is yeah. Yeah. So if you want like a Daryl Tapp pass rusher, you know, guy in day three, I mean, Victor Ochi, man, you know, <laughs> so. I mean that, that was that that's what I was kind of uh now of course he's the FCS guy, so teams are gonna be like, Oh he's he touched like Victor Ochi, but he's the FCS guy, so we'll stick him as an undirected free agent, but hopefully they don't do that, you know. Hopefully they're not that dumb. But who knows? Uh it's uh yeah, it's weird what they do. Uh a couple of guys that put up weird profiles was like Jonathan Bullard, who's a guy that a lot of people have been talking about for various reasons. Um, you know, he's a kind of explosive player, a relatively productive player. Testing-wise, he's kind of, you know, kind of like a less athletic Lamar Woodley. 
you know, as an mm-hmm. edge guy. Um, as a tackle, he's not that athletic for tackle, really, but, I mean, where I really? kind of see. He finished in the 80th percentile for me as a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have a part I mean, of the way that we've been just... <laughs> 68. I mean, for me, he's 68 in explosiveness, okay. 62nd in speed for his size, and then 71 in uh, dynamic speed for his size in terms of uh, six foot three tackles. About 480 to 516. Yeah, defensive tackle. Six foot three to or less defensive tackle. Yeah, he's definitely a tweener uh, in terms of is he an end or is he a defensive tackle in terms of his weight and, and like, where to put him, what group. Uh, I put him at E-tackle in, in mine, but I could see him going either way, really. Well, now that I have Ethan Young, who's joined us, um, compare and contrast, say, Bullard and Dodd. In terms of how those guys profile out, uh, I'll start with you, Ethan. If you're looking at those two guys in terms of athletic profile, uh, what do they look like, metrically speaking, from an athletic standpoint, and then we'll talk production after that. Go with Jim first. Let me pull up Don on my... Uh, oh, okay. Then I'll go to Jim second. first. <laughs> so comparing and contrasting those two guys, Bullard and Dodd, how do they stack up athletically and how they stack up in terms of production? Oh. Well, athletically speaking, uh, Kevin Dodd really didn't do much. Um, he just ran the 40-yard uh, dash. That was about it. Um, so he, he ran about what Deion Sanders. Uh, he just went up in the tunnel after that. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, running a 4.86 is not exactly, you know. <laughs> That's not a mic drag a, moment. Huh? <laughs> not, a, not a mic drag moment, uh, even for his size. I mean, for his size, it's okay-ish. It's not terrible. It's not a business decision. But uh, he didn't do explosive tests. He didn't do uh, short shuttle three-count testing. Um, So I really can't say, you know, one way or another what he is as an athlete, other than that he's not exactly very slow. Yeah. that's What I have for him, though, is I do have his uh, T-Freak rating, which is size and length composite. And uh, he scored a 110 for me. In, in that regard, which let me try to pull up what percentile. That's about 73rd percentile for uh, – I'm sorry, that's D1. Let me look at uh, Edge. Um, so he scored a 110, which would be about – oh, yeah, see, that's not great. Yeah, that's, that's below average. So he was below average length, uh, not a great 40, about 46th percentile. That's just a guesstimate because I don't have all his information okay. anymore. Because, okay. like Jim said, he didn't do anything at the combine other than run a 40. But in terms of length and size, yeah, he's about 40th percentile. Uh, so I'm not too excited about that one. Compared to Bullard, uh-huh. uh, like I said, I have him at D tackle, but he's a 55th percentile for size and length at D tackle. Uh, but he did score a little bit lower in raw rating. So. If you would move Bullard to edge, he would have been about 40th percentile. So they're actually pretty comparable in length. Um, but I'm guessing, I don't know about what you think, Jim. I think Bullard's a little bit better of an athlete. 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, based on tape, I mean, I yeah, I can't really say definitively, but right. it's a little yeah. more explosive. But yeah, right. Yeah, that's all we have. Got it. Okay. So some looking... people that actually participated in the combine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. So <laughs> if someone was, and as you mentioned, these are guys that some people, if somebody was saying between those. I think one of these guys could maybe be a five technique. If somebody was bringing you in as a consultant, I'll start with you even though I go to your gym. Hey, I think one of these guys could be a five technique. Of of the guys who were there, the Chris Joneses, the guys who just discussed, the uh, Jihad Wards, the Vernon Butlers, the who else? Uh, Matt Ioannidis. Uh, who else was a guy that people mentioned? You want to talk Buckner in there? Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> Yeah. I guess throw let's throw him in there. We we can more the barrier. Um, <laughs> so of this pile of dudes that we just sort of whipped through, based on the work that you do, Ethan, who would you have the most hope for as being a productive NFL five technique, which is always a premium position and hard to find? Yeah, definitely. Um just looking through length's really important to five tech, right? I mean that's something you really want. And Buckner really just was out of the park, 94th percentile in length for defensive linemen. Uh, so he just kind of fits that prototype five-tech type of guy. Uh, he was in the 65th percentile for athleticism, so he's not uh, an Ashawn Robinson type of athlete. So he's a guy, if, you know, he's obviously top of the draft, right? you gotta you got to pay and get him, but he's probably the prototype guy. Uh, late, though, I like Kafusi. Uh Kind of an underwhelming, uh, not underwhelming, I should say, but uh, under the radar combine, uh, 85th percentile for spark for me and 75th for length. So he kind of had a a quietly good week, uh, and he's a guy that during the Senior Bowl, like his hand usage just stood out to me. I just was impressed with how quick his hands were and his feet for someone of that size. So on day three, he's the guy I think you can plug in as a rotational five tech right away. Okay, same question to you, Jim Cobert. Uh, people are always in the hunt for five techniques. Who amongst the, you know, the available pool that we discussed, and hey, if you know someone else I didn't mention, uh, feel free to toss them in as well, but who who would give you hope, I guess, uh, based on what we've, we've discussed, that could actually be a productive NFL five technique amongst the, uh, the pool in this year's draft? Well, Buckner is always the top. I mean, the top guy. I mean, he's he's the most productive uh, right. defensive tackle, uh, kind of up there with. I know everybody's like he's not Calais Campbell, but I mean that's how productive he was. So, like, what am I supposed to but, do here? Well, people people often compare him to Calais Campbell. So, apparently, you know, some people are okay with the comparison because it keeps coming up. I mean, I I don't know what to do. Like, he's right there. The name is right there, production wise. So. It's, uh yeah, with height and length and everything else, uh, you know, with giant hands and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, he and he was my top five tech last year. And yeah, I was really yeah. sad when he didn't declare last year. Um, but, you know. Uh, he probably did the right thing, though, because he's going to go really high this year. Yeah, well, well, yeah pretty much, yeah. I, I, I don't have doubts about that, especially in this draft class. Like, yeah, yeah he's going to go pretty high. We'll see. But, 
yeah, he, he kind of fits that mold. Uh, Chris Jones from Mississippi State uh, is a guy that, in terms of his athletic profile, could possibly play like a Malik Jackson kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, like five tech in that sort of way. Um, he was not elite productive in anything, but just like Malik Jackson, if he goes to a team like that, he has that sort of size and everything else that, you know, he could do that kind of thing. Just make sure to wear extra underwear, you know, when you're doing stuff. Um, <clears throat> in terms of Dean Lowry, this is another guy. Now, he's go. really, really old. Um, but he had really a really good day overall in terms of testing. Um, and, uh, yeah, for, for Lowry. Let me try to get. You want a big red flag on Lowry, though. You look at his length for a, a defensive tackle or a five tech. He's in the 1.8 percentile. So a little bit undersized in terms of arm length and, and stuff like that. So it's going to be. Yeah. He's a, real, he's a great athlete there. There's no question. But that's kind of going to be the question. Right. I mean, uh, certainly length is not the greatest thing ever, but he's 6'5", 296. Yep. Um, and a lot of the stuff I've seen is that height is more correlative to stuff than length for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a flag. I'm not saying this guy is a day two guy. Uh, there's also kind of age stuff with him as well and mm-hmm. production stuff. But I think mm-hmm. that if you are a team that's desperate for a five tech, and you don't Which have a all choice. The three, all the three, four teams are. I mean, like yeah. Pittsburgh could use two of them, to be perfectly honest. Uh, well, I thought you already had one. And then, uh, boo! Boo! To it. To it. To it. I tried not to hate the pick. I did. I tried not to hate that pick. I mean, he's not embarrassing, but he's not great. Well, I mean, production-wise, it's been bad. I mean, yeah, but um, <clears throat> Vernon Butler uh, mentioning stuff onto it—that's kind of how Vernon Butler tested, at least based on all my stuff. A more explosive, uh, kind of Marcus Stroudish, to be honest. Um, not as oh. fast as Marcus Stroud, oh, but yeah, for, uh, <laughs> like, here's the best way to put it: Butler was 55th in explosive lower body strength. He was 201 in speed and 138th in dynamic speed. Uh, and this is out of about 300 plus at each sort of range. Um, so, I mean, there's kind of like that. Or, or Kenny Smith, remember that guy? Yes. Kenny Smith. Huh. Uh, think of yeah. like a more explosive Kenny Smith. Huh. I'm still yeah, trying to get over there. I'm throwing it over the Marcus Stroud with Of course, obviously, he's not as good, but, <laughs> man, that would get he's my attention. He's not as fast. Yeah, he's so not as fast. Good. Is he? I mean, I mean, from what I've seen, at least. I mean, Marcus Stroud was a guy that, at least based on what I do, wasn't uh, elite productive, um, had like three or four good years, and then just kind of disappeared after that. I don't know what happened. but um, Well, but those, those three or four years were pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, he and John Henderson were a handful for about, as you said, about a four-year <laughs> period. Uh, they were a mess. They were no, they were no fun to, to game plan for for a while there. 
But yet he was about the 48th percentile in terms of athleticism for me as well. So not not an elite athlete by any sort of stretch. Well, let me since we're since we're, we're since the word elite is getting banded about, was there anybody who did test like an elite athlete at any position in this draft class that from at least from the people who were at the combine? Uh, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was about 96th percentile for cornerback and safety, which I would anything over 95 I consider elite. Um, Dobson was close, 92, but like I said, not over 95. I'm probably not going to count that as an elite guy. Um, another guy that was really close was Spriggs, 94th percentile, but really, really the only one that was was elite, no question, was was Ramsey. Same question for you, Jim. Did anybody, according to the the metrics that you use, test as an elite athlete from any of the position groups? No. <laughs> I mean, uh, like, uh, this is kind of tough to really say. Like, if you're saying elite, like, J.J. Watt is elite. Calvin Johnson is elite. Uh, Jalen Ramsey is kind of like a keep to leave on steroids. Yeah. But <laughs> didn't like quite have call. the same pass deflection market shares. Now, of course, I'm not trying to think of that. Okay, so like this, this is an athlete. This purely is an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was 99th in explosive lower body strength. You know, second, actually. Um, 45th in speed and 43rd in dynamic speed. Uh, which is about 84, actually 85 percentile in speed, 83 percentile in uh, dynamic speed, short trail three comes for a range. So we're talking about guys like Nambi Asamoa, Keith Lee, uh, Prince of Makamura, um, for example, uh, who was 20th in explosiveness but was 26th in speed and 36th in dynamic speed for his size. Um, I mean, when I'm thinking of elite, I'm thinking of like Patrick Peterson, who was fifth in explosiveness, fourth in speed, and first <laughs> in dynamic speed. So that's, you, you're like, you think elite is 98th percentile or higher than you. That's your kind of threshold well, because guys are talking 90, about kind of 98, 99 percentile. 90 or higher percentile in every single athletic metric. Right, okay. You know, um, that's, that's kind of how I, I view it. But – I mean, he's a really good athlete. I mean, you know, yeah. like, it's not that he's a bad athlete. He's a really good right. athlete. The best athlete right. out of all the DBs, really. Um, I think he's the best one in the class. I mean, would you argue that? Is there a better athlete in this class? Hmm. Good question. Uh, Maybe Daniel Lasco? Nah, Daniel Lasco's kind of – he has a dreaded explosiveness, lack of sort of – Stuff. But um, I mean, I guess you could say that <laughs> we haven't seen anybody else do stuff. I mean, you know, there, there's Coleman, definitely uh, Coleman might get close. Yeah, Coleman might we'll get see. close. We'll, we'll see what he does. Um, Ogba definitely had, you know, interesting stuff, except for the short shell three count. But, I mean, he was like 11th in speed, 24th in dynamic, and 67th in dynamic speed, and 24th in uh, explosiveness. So, I mean, I mean, you know, 
He's he's up there. Mm-hmm. Oh. So who was close? So have, have either of you guys that. watched the Boston College defensive tackle Connor Wujak? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Wujak. Yes. And I bet you guys watched his tape because talking about five techs, that could be a guy. Uh, lacks a little bit of length for a five check, but very good athlete. And I haven't watched his tape, so I'm a little bit curious about if he's legit or not, or if he's just a a number on a page. <laughs> um, kind of a tweener. Uh, some people see him as a three tech. Um, he possibly, as you said, maybe he's a five tech. He might be able to play, you know, the ever more popular four I. Um, Things I liked about him, a uh, certain amount of toughness, you know. Um, most Boston College guys are fairly tough. Either the way they recruit or the way they go at it. Plus, I guess, you know, Coach Adazio, I think, was the guy that recruited him. He's kind of a tough guy himself. And um, what else to say? Yeah, I mean, he showed pretty good lateral quickness from what I saw. Uh, pretty good against the run. Could be fooled by, you know, by influence plays, traps, you know, any things that misdirection. He seemed to be, you know, aggressive. Over pursues a bit? Yeah. He, he was very aggressive and, you know, okay. sort of a shoot first, ask questions later approach to playing the position usually. Okay. Yeah, he's a guy um, that uh, I hadn't heard of, or I had heard of, but I hadn't watched. And uh, right. he, he hit 92nd percentile in, among defensive tackles. He was the... The, uh, oh. the, I think the best athlete actually in spark rating, in my spark ratings uh, for defensive linemen. So I was very uh, intrigued by him. Okay, let me let me ask Jim. How does he stack up with the stuff that you do, Jim? Oh, was you was, you mean with uh, kind of uh, with, yeah, using your right, 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 methodology? Right. I mean, in terms of. Uh, with him, um, his production was uh, kind of eh for yeah, that's what I remember. I remember. I remember him not being super uh, productive. He was always around stuff. You know what I mean? He was always near. He didn't seem to be – he was rarely the guy getting there first, though, it seemed. Okay. Right. And with his athleticism – for some reason, let me double check something. I mean, I didn't have a, a defensive tackle that was a better spark athlete. Um, his, his length stuff was not good. He was 42nd percentile, but when you put it together, it was he was my fifth defensive lineman in terms of total composite. Oh, he was a short guy. Yeah, he yeah. was 6'2". Yes, very short, 6'2". Very short. Right. Okay, I think I have, I'm trying to. So I was thinking, because you, you speak five tech, I think tall guys, that's my sort of thing. I mean, yeah, he tested well as an athlete. I mean, he was uh, explosive, dynamic, um, in terms of speed, was not really uh, – a lot of guys I just mentioned, um, Sheldon Richardson, right, Tyson Alo-Alo, Roger Bunkley, those types of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, a, purely as an athlete. Um, right. I mean, he definitely – See, the thing is, most of the really, really successful five techs that we've seen in the NFL 
uh, are six four or higher in terms yeah. of height, um, and they typically have a lot of length as well. Um, right, and he lacks that. He lacks both those things. Lacks both those things. But so can you be sort of more of a three tech? That's what most people see him as. Or no, okay. or like an undersized nose tackle, maybe. That's right. what yeah. a lot of he, these guys are. Hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bunkley, you know, was kind of a nose tackle. Um, Richardson was kind of, I don't know, I've rarely seen him play recently. He's <laughs> kind of a three-tech guy, but yeah. Uh, Alu Alu was... He's kind of all over the place. They kind of move him around every year. Right. Uh, Demonta Pico is kind of an athlete version of that. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, practice squad. If he gets lucky, he <laughs> could become something, maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. I I could, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle picked him up as a, as a maybe seventh round or free agent type. He just kind of fits that undersized three-tech uh, quick – Quick, tough athlete that they kind of like. So that's that kind of piqued my interest immediately seeing that name pop up. So, sticking with your defensive tackles and how they stack up as athletes, uh, tell me about how since the defensive tackle class is sort of where people say all the good stuff is. Uh, how do Billings and and Hargrave stack up in terms of? you know, explosiveness and all the stuff that you deal with, uh, uh, Ethan. And then same question to you after that, Tim. So Hargrave was really good athlete, uh, you know, 84th percentile for Spark, you know, hit all the check marks there. Um, I'm sure I'm sure that Jim had him pretty good across the board, maybe not as good in, in the, the shuttle and three-cone stuff. But, I mean, he jumped well, ran well. Um, Split was was pretty average, um, but what, his biggest problem from the weigh-in stuff was was his length. I mean, he's a six percent six point nine percentile uh, size and length, which is kind of tough for a a uh, a nose tackle type, which some have him as. A, I think he might be better than four three. He's a three tech. I mean, okay, well yeah, he fits that perfectly. <laughs> I I think on on tape he plays like that too. Yeah, he's played nose because that's they have nobody better at that position on the team that he's been on. But, oh, okay, gotcha. You know, right. that's yeah. why he's playing on the nose. If you, you know, I mean, he he tests he tests like a three tech. There's no question. Right. Um, and but, he's been like fighting said, double teams his entire pretty much his entire career. So when well, I'm talking about a production guy, I mean that he put up as big a numbers as you'll see yeah. uh, for a defensive tackle, and that's kind of oh, yeah. that's very intriguing. Yeah, and, I, I, watched, I, guess I, I watched. I watched him get five and a half sacks in one game. So yeah, he can produce. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> spark. fighting double teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really good sparks. Not great length. Not great T freak percentage. And then SLA, which is the combination of both. He was 44th percentile, ranked in 13th out of all the D tackles, the eligible D tackles at the combine out of uh, 32. So I mean, right, right middle pack, and which with his length, with his Lack of length is very impressive. Uh, okay. That, yeah. Uh, and what about Billings? Uh, Billings, so the way I do my D-tackle stuff, the nose tackles are kind of at the bottom just for being nose tackles. 
and you kind of have to have that knowledge going in. And so his percentiles were 26 and 40. Uh, so not great, but he was right in the middle of a pack of where a nose tackle should be. So Kenny Clark was ahead of him, but he was ahead of Jerron Reed. He was ahead of Vincent Valentine. He was ahead of uh, Reeder and Austin Johnson. So he was right in that middle of that pack of, of kind of where the nose tackles belong. But nothing nothing really that – no red flags, which was good. Um, didn't do well in in jumps, but, in, you know, who really cares – much about that for nose tackles. I mean, being being terrible is one thing, but he was just below average, so it's, it's really not that much of a red flag. 40th percentile for Sparks, so, I mean, kind of in that Marcus Stroud area, like we talked about, Marcus Stroud is 48, so not, let me see who's 40th. I kind of want to compare him to somebody in that 40th percentile. Um, let me pull someone up here. So right around, let's see, who's this? Sharif Floyd uh, is a good athletic comp for him. Okay. Uh, and the, the length's fine. Uh, 26 percentile for a nose tackle is fine. You just don't want anything below 15 for a nose tackle. That's kind of the threshold I've had. And the guys that are below 15 uh, in this class are uh, Valentine, or Valentine, uh, let me see if Reader is. No, not Reader. Just Valentine and uh, yeah, Valentine's the only nose tackle. And then obviously we talked about Dean Lowry. He's way under, but he's not a nose tackle. So yeah, that's going. Going is fine. Just below average, Chester, which is what you kind of expected going in. Okay. Uh, same question for you, Jim, on those two guys. How do they stack up in the way that you uh, assess guys? You know, strengths, weaknesses. Uh, you know where what a, what chance might they have to succeed and, and things like that. Well, sure. Um, with uh, Hargrave, I mean, both of these guys pretty much tested similar. Um, uh, Hargrave was a better overall athlete. I mean, he was seventh in explosiveness, twenty eighth speed for his size, one hundred sixty fourth in dynamic speed. Um, kind of Lamar Houston, you know, Chris Baker terms of his athleticism um, profile, you know. Uh, and, of course, was, was very productive at, uh, you know, South Carolina State, um, although he never really did much against – that was the only thing about Hargrave. Every time he went up against, like, a top-level team, he just kind of disappeared. But, uh, <laughs> that was not like a big issue. But, um, Buller – not Buller, yeah, not Buller, Billings. Uh, Billings was uh, Roy Miller level athleticism. He was 92nd <laughs> in explosiveness, 82nd in speed, and 275th in dynamic speed. Um, both of these guys had, uh, in terms of length, I mean, Hargrave had about 32-inch arm length, uh, which is a threshold for all multiple, all pro, uh, multiple Pro Bowl uh, defensive tackles. Um, so, I mean, it's you know, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal to me. But, um, I mean, his hand size is pretty much where it is. I mean, Vince Wilfork, you know, had 32-inch arm length, you know. Right. Um, BJ yeah, Rogers, and the hand size is a part of it, too, because my percentile takes it's, – it's a composite, so it takes hand size into account uh, very lightly, but it does. And 
and his tiny hands are what really hit him in, into the sixth, sixth percentile. Five eight, tiny tiny hands. Yeah, I mean his. Uh, I mean, sure. Yeah, for his height, I mean his arm length is kind of relative, so yeah. um, it's not bad. You know, to me, um, Billings. I mean Billings overall. I mean he wasn't really uh, a super duper athlete overall. Um, was very productive though. Uh, I think. Some of this might just because how young he is, because one thing I've noticed a lot is guys that come out really, really early, you know, like 20 years old, which is where he's coming out. Um, right. They're not all the way physically developed yet, you know. They haven't really hit their physical peak, if you will, in terms of where, they, where they're where they at. Um, so, you know, Billings is a guy that, uh, I mean, he's definitely going to be kind of a late first guy because NFL doesn't like guys that are six one or six foot. But uh, you know, I, I think he could. I think he could develop into a really productive player. Um, I mean, this athleticism. I mean, again, he has above average explosiveness and speed. He just doesn't necessarily have elite explosiveness and speed. But um, it is something that he could improve upon because he's so young. Yeah, you because know, he's 20 years old. So um, with Hargraves, he's pretty much all, already. I mean, pretty much where Hargrave is is what you're going to see going forward for the most part. He's pretty more physically developed, at least yeah. in terms of his lower body strength. Well, he's older too, right? I don't have yeah. aged by here, but by like two and a half years or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is Billings the youngest? I know he's one of the youngest. Is he the youngest? No, yeah, yeah, but Darren. I think Darren Lee might be the youngest. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. You mean in the draft, or you mean in the draft class, or you mean in uh? Yeah, in this draft class, yeah. I think it's Lee or Jack, isn't it? Or, no, it's not Jack. I think it might be Lee. I know it's not Billings. It was Billings originally, and then his date was off by a year. So. Oh, his, year, his date was off by a year? On the Baylor website. I'm sure the date you have is right, but the Baylor website had him almost a year uh, younger than he is. Um... Yeah, he's he's not nineteen. Like, no, he's like twenty and seven months or something. Twenty. And... Yeah, he's almost twenty-one. Hmm. So he's not quite the. Everyone was enamored with the age thing for so long, but yeah, they had that was kind of forged. I don't know why they did that because it's, it's bound to come out right. You can't hide that forever. Uh, but I guess they tried to. Well, actually, Malzek is uh, the youngest linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it is my Jack sort of thing. I, for some reason, somebody had said Darren Lee, so I. Well, he's very that, popular. That might not be right. That's just off memory. Well, I'm not he's making very that popular. Off my data. Okay, so all those guys are guys that are not yet 21. Is that correct? They're all guys who are 20 and change. That's pretty dang close. I mean. You know, yeah, they'll be 21 in the season starts, I believe. Right. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, they're not drinking age right yeah. now, but I mean, they. Yeah, there's, there's not any. Uh, one of the receivers is really young, too. Uh, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Is it there's like Jalen Marshall? It might be Jalen Marshall. Yeah, because he's one of those receivers. Really... Is, 
really yeah. young. Miles Jack will be uh, 20.665 on draft day. Okay. So he's okay. going to turn uh, – September 3rd is when he turns 21. So pretty much when the season starts, uh, Sue Cravens is going to turn 21 in uh, July. Jamin Smith turns 21 in June. And I'm trying to see. I think with Darren Lee, I think it's because I didn't get an accurate birthday. But I'm going to double check. It's, it's funny how some elusive some of these birthdays are. It's like I don't understand what what they're hiding. Yeah, it's, really, it's really hard to get a hold of the birthdays. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't have a birthday for Darren Lee. So, I mean, they, but it might already be posted, but... Um, yeah, it's one thing you can't. It's really hard to get a hold of birthdays. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's kind of weird because when I was going to like a couple off star events, I was asking guys for their birthdays, and they're like, "That's kind of a weird a- a question to ask." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, that's what I wanted to know." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to say? The regular sort of, "How was your day? Who did you go up against?" Who is the best player you played against? No, I want to know what your birthday is. That's what I really want. <laughs> there you go. Exclusive. Maybe I'll get you something if you if you tell me. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I had Josh Dawson's birthday. I knew for a while because I had <laughs> yeah, that's to, a uh, one. on Twitter. You know, I had to I had to go because his brother celebrated. Like basically, was like happy bu- happy birthday, bro. You know, on Twitter. There you go. And I'm like, oh, so Captain the candles. <laughs> yep. And then oh, I was boy. like, oh, oh. There yep, we go. That's him. Because I had the date, and I just needed the year, and uh, that was the year. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, well done, Jim. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, I know everyone's sort of obsessed with youth or whatever, I remember when Amobi Okoye, you know, hit the draft. He was 19 and change. I think he turned 20 while he was in training camp or something. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the age, the age people were all super, you know, warm and runny about him. But I think there's a, a point where it gets it stops being an advantage. You know what I mean? Like there's a point by which you're too young in a way. Uh, and the crazy thing is he had actually graduated. He had, he was a guy that already had his college degree at 19 and change. He skipped two grades in school, a uh, very bright kid, but physically and to some extent even, I think, emotionally unready to be surrounded by people, you know, five, eight, 12 years older than he. And you, you take a beating. Um, you know, I mean, he was used to be, he was the biggest kid, you know, always before in high school, obviously he'd been the biggest kid, even though he's one of the youngest. And then even at Louisville, he, you know, he wasn't always the biggest, but he was pretty big and he was exceptionally quick and he didn't take, you know, he didn't, he didn't have too many bad days in college either. And I think the first time he started having some bad days was probably in his first rookie camp. And then OTAs, you know, and I think it took him a while to wrap his brain around what was happening. You know, I, right. I, I, couldn't, help but, I couldn't help but wonder if, you know, despite all of the, 
you know, age wizardry and people loving it, if maybe being a year older and playing another year of college football would have actually helped um, as opposed to, I mean, I know everyone wants people in the draft as soon as possible. Oh, I wish so and so would come out. And, of course, I, I understand the attraction, but I think, to me, the you have to be an exceptional person, not just an exceptional player, but an exceptional person to adapt early to playing with professionals. And I think people forget that. If you aren't exceptional, both as a player and as a person, it might not go well. No, it won't. You know, so... But, I mean, people are so excited. But people miss people on the sort declare. of, again, but what people don't realize is that you're, like, just because a guy's really young has nothing to do with what they did on the football field. And oftentimes when we're talking about really young players, it's like a coin flip if they weren't productive, you know, in, in college. I mean, Albert Hainsworth was a guy who – you know, he came out when he was 20.85 years old, one of the youngest defense tackles to come out, was eh productive in terms of most of what he was able to do, developed in Albert Hainsworth, you know. Um, but then you also have guys like, you know, Lee Troy Guillaume and Jeffrey Pagan and, you know, all these other sort of dudes. And I know Mario Edwards, the people are like, yeah, he's working out, woo! We'll see. But, uh, you know, wasn't exactly elite productive. It was okay. Um, right. Yeah. I just I just think that, you know, people oftentimes will use age as sort of a, you know, they go, oh, it's an indicator of quality when, as I said before, guys who are really productive and young, that's kind of what you're looking for. Not guys that are. And and also just because a guy is young and really productive doesn't necessarily mean that they're really good either, you know. There's people like that as well. So again, it's one variable, one variable amongst many variables that you have to look at. Um, and you know, I don't know. I guess people are, don't like to juggle variables. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the quarterbacks. I mean, people much bemoan this quarterback group, and some of it, I'm sure, was justified. But I guess based on what you do, Ethan, what things do you care about when you look at quarterbacks? What what are the things you say, okay, these things matter? I mean, how do you generate your your rankings and ratings on them? So in terms of the work I do, it's probably the least relevant for predicting quarterbacks in terms of length and, and, and athleticism. It's obviously something you like if they have, but not really the most important thing. Uh, when I watch tape, I, I really like the quick release, uh, quick thinking, kind of guys that, with good deep ball placement, which kind of sounds like I'm describing Jared Goff. Uh, and I, I am a Goff fan, but in terms of the work I do, Paxton Lynch was, was number one, uh, pretty good length, good athleticism, just kind of a good blend of, of everything. And uh, Driscoll did very well in my stuff too. But, I mean, really the work I do with quarterbacks is really just more to look for red flags, right, guys that maybe, okay, this guy's too small. And obviously Vernon Adams comes to mind when you bring that up. That he's the 0.0 percentile when it comes to T-freak percentage. 
uh, the lowest rated key freak I have in my database. And I, I love his tape. I do. I really do. I really like his tape, but that's quite a projection to make. Uh, with he's the lowest rated guy. He ever came uh, Kato in that as well. Uh, let me look if I have Rakeem Kato in there. Okay. <laughs> I I probably don't because I I would think Kato would come in under that. But let me look. <laughs> well, if 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 that's yeah, the worst. Kato's got to be negative then, right? I mean, he's. Yeah, okay, so I've got, I've got about 300 quarterbacks in here, and Kato's not one of them, so. Oh, okay. Well, then Rakeem Kato so can save the embarrassment of, I guess, coming out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but second worst versus the worst, yeah. But <laughs> yeah even, if, even if Kato was in there, he would be 0.1. I mean, it's not going to be – it's not going to be – it's going to be a big red flag, and, and, and his size composite is really – I mean, if you look at his, his comps in terms of just size and athleticism, let me scroll down to the bottom of the size composite scores here. He, i got to sort this. It's all out of order. Uh, I'm wondering how he would stack up against a guy like Doug Flutie, which I'm guessing you probably don't have. But, no, uh, yeah, I, I, have, uh, <laughs> I have Brad Banks. Uh, Brad he's Banks. sort of similar. Federate. His, his, his best comp? Uh, his most similar comp would be a, like a Jordan Lynch uh, in terms of just size and athleticism. Uh, the only guy that's had NFL success at all, it, there's none. There's no comp that's had NFL success with his size and athleticism. Uh, I, I got to keep scoring. Yeah, there's nobody even close. Yeah, like I said, uh, unfortunately, you, you, you didn't. I obviously have Flutie, but Flutie measured in at what five nine and five eight and a hundred and eighty six. No, not even that. It was less than one hundred seventy six. One hundred seventy six pounds, and I know he ran a four five six forty. Um, I'm trying to remember what other numbers I, I remember from Flutie's uh, pro day. Um, and one team asked him to run routes, and he like laughed at them. <laughs> uh, I remember one team asked him, you know, about running around. He just he literally laughed. He actually like chuckled and you know went on to the next thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was like, dude, I'm on the highest bit. <laughs> you know, uh, it was it was it was interesting times. There were a couple of teams that thought he might be a free safety. A couple of teams thought he might be a wide receiver. Uh, he did stick to his guns, as he stated. Quarterback. Um, Spent a year with uh, New England and spent a couple of years with Chicago as a backup and went up north, had very good success, and the CFL came back down to be a backup, or originally planned for him to be a backup with the Chargers. Beats out, you know, Brad Johnson that goes from there to um, – no, sorry. Oh, right. He beats out Brad Johnson in Buffalo. Then after that goes to the Chargers and – has a couple of really good years with the Chargers and then goes back to New England to finish up as a backup. But uh, there's always, I mean, for reasons I, I suppose I understand, but there's always a tremendous amount of nervousness. One might almost say fear uh, regarding quarterbacks who you know, are a certain shape and size. People, you know, get weird uh, if you're below a certain 
right? And like I said, I understand it. I mean, I get it. I get it. there's clearly it's harder to explain when somebody doesn't work out and they're they're you know five foot nine than if they don't work out and they're six foot five because you can point to all these other six foot five guys and say, hey, you know these other guys, right? Made it. I thought those guys were gonna make it. It is much harder to say your boss when you so, somehow manage to sell about a five foot nine quarterback if you could somehow do this magic trick. Um, and then somehow explain, well, you know, she had really good tape, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, tape uh, obviously the most important thing with quarterbacks. There's absolutely no question. There's no number that's going to be more important than, than how he looks on tape. Sure. Um, for quarterbacks more so than any other position. So in your case, Jim, how you work, First of all, I guess, what are the things that, that even matter to you when you are evaluating quarterbacks and, once again, using the things that you use, who at the combine, or if there's guys that got left out, either way, but who who looks like they have a shot? Looks like they have a shot. I don't know. Let's watch the bit. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, in terms of like athleticism uh, again. Athleticism for quarterback is more descriptive than predictive. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of describes, uh, you know, like you have a guy like Cam Newton. He's by far the best testing quarterback that I have in my database. Yeah, um, and as a guy who legitimately could could do anything if he wanted to, if he put his mind to it. Um, you know, uh, you know Dante Culpepper, extremely athletic guy, uh, was kind of a dual threat guy on tape. And then you have guys who are like Peyton Manning, who had a 24-inch vert and an 8.25 broad jump. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously not very athletic. Of course, Tom Brady, right? Like, you know, like, the, of course, but, but then again, Peyton Manning wasn't known for his dashing uh, running <laughs> ability at Tennessee. So, no. uh, again, or the other it, place. It's really all about, again, how a quarterback, to steal another term for Josh Norris, wins. How does he win? And uh, it is a good question to ask. You know, like Johnny Manziel was a guy that came up where, you know, there's a guy that wins a lot with athletic ability on tape. And when he tested, his athletic ability was okay, you know? Um, you know, like he wasn't like Michael Vick or anything like that. No. So I was like, uh, I don't know how much this is going to work. I think he could be a West Coast quarterback and develop into that. But I just kind of had questions because he, he was a guy who relied a lot in terms of his running um, in addition to his passing. Um, in terms of testing at the combine, I mean, uh, Paxton Lynch, you know, was very explosive at six foot seven, but I only have five, six foot seven guys in my database. So well, who, who are those guys that you have? Brock Osweiler mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mike Glennon um, are the oh, only guys. Okay. And the other guys are guys in Tiffany. Now, did Dan McGuire, I was say, did Dan McGuire predate, predate your your stuff? Oh, I have Dan McGuire, but I just don't have his testing numbers. Oh. I like to keep my I like to keep my my uh, database that goes all the way back to 1983. I like to keep it separated because you know I don't want to. I'm comparing quarterbacks. I'm gonna go that far back. 
you know. Okay. But I, okay. I did do it at one point for uh, 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 for a little production sort of thing that I did. But um, yeah, I mean, it, there's it's really tall. Um, it's ridiculously tall. It's tall to the point of concern um, in yeah. terms of mechanics because that's that's the big thing I've always said with Pex and Lynch is his mechanics and he's really tall. So it's taller than Flacco even, you know, and I know the people are like, he's just like Joe Flacco, but he's taller than that even. Um, and of course, Flacco had a 6.823 count. But sure comes not really correlate too much, but it just kind of shows that, you know, Flacco was a really tall guy. He even has issues with mechanics, but at least he has really yeah. good fluidity for his feet. So um, it's, yeah, it's it's just something I kind of worry about. But, yeah, in terms of Jeff Driscoll, I mean, he's just like Blaine Gabbert in terms of his uh, profile uh, as an athlete. Um, a lot less length, though, but obviously that's yeah. the most important thing for a quarterback, but. Yeah, but that's kind of where I, uh, kind of where I was, I, I was at with him, I guess, in terms of that. Yeah. Uh, Cardo Jones was kind of like he was in between Ryan Leaf and uh, Vince Young as a. Uh, he's not as fast mm. as Vince Young. That's the thing. You don't want to be. You don't. You don't want to be between Ryan Leaf and Vince Young. <laughs> really explosive. Explosive testing. Okay. As you know, okay. Cardell didn't do Churchill three cone. He did do the forty, and then he pulled his little hammy, and then he did the you know vertical and stuff. And uh, I had him at about a ninety-two, which is relatively high. Not as high as Culpepper, because a lot of people are like he's like Dante Culpepper, but Culpepper's much mm. faster, much more explosive, much more in terms athletic, of his yeah. testing. No, I- Right. I didn't need I didn't need <laughs> testing. I, I saw Dante Goldpepper. <laughs> you know, I you oof. just watching him, you could tell he was way more athletic than a guy like Cardinal did. Right, but I, I'm a Ryan Leaf and I I'm gonna stick with that because I remember I went back and watched Ryan Leaf Washington State and uh I'm still, I was just sticking with it, you know. It just kinda makes sense in my mind, you know, um, if you will. Uh, and he does not test like Demarcus Russell. So don't even start with that stuff. Um, he's, he's, you know, because Russell had a 29-inch vert, Cardell had a 36-inch vert. So he's much yeah. more explosive much more than, uh, yeah. than yeah. Russell uh, was, uh, even though people said he was. Carson Wentz was sort of like Matt Shabby, you know. Um, Matt Shab. Uh, Roethlisberger didn't really do. I don't have his vertical broad jump, so it's really kind of hard to compare him to that. He didn't quite. He wasn't as explosive as Eli Manning. Um, he's faster than Philip Rivers. Uh, trying to go through here. Hmm. Kent Smith, maybe. No, that's not good. He's better than Zach Mettenberger. Hey, there you go. He's relatively uh, – think of it like this. Imagine a quarterback that has the same sort of lower body strength as Philip Rivers with the dynamic speed of, say, a Colin Kaepernick. Really? Yeah. In well, terms I think of, most uh, GMs would sign up for that. 
Not as fast as Colin Kaepernick. So, like, imagine if Colin Kaepernick ran 477 versus 453. Right. But his dynamic speed compares very favorably with uh, Kaepernick. He had a, you know, 4.15 Churchill, 6.86 three count. So, which is pretty dynamic in terms of that. So, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's relatively athletic, you know. Now, of course, my concern is that you had a guy in uh, the previous quarterback to him who had a much better touch-to-interception ratio. Um, Wentz also has issues with the snap, fumbles, stuff like that, that really top quarterback prospects are not supposed to have. I don't know about you, Bill, but when Peyton Manning was coming out, did he have issues? Uh, with fumbling the snap on occasion, I he was think he might have had. I think he might have had three lost fumbles. You know, it's separate. I mean, that weren't due to somebody you know knocking the ball out on a sack or something in his entire career, which was four years. Right. At, uh, <laughs> at, at, but he uh, didn't have years. three all in one year, and his last. No, year. he did not. <laughs> See, because. Uh, you know, again, uh, I'm I'm a guy when I when I do my when I watch tape on a guy, I'm mean, I'm looking for attention to detail. And what people don't realize is that when you when you have a quarterback who has issues with the center exchange, for example, the thing I hated, I really hated with uh, Nova, for example, you know, because he was a guy that was a junior senior guy, started a lot of games, and was having issues with the center exchange. That's a fundamental guy. Yeah, but that's a fundamental, dude. Like, the center exchange is, like, it's something you should have already have known how to do in high school. Um, and if you're having issues with it, it should have already been dealt with in training camp. Now, I can understand having a center that comes in late and you have issues in one game, but if you're a quarterback, attention to detail is everything. You know, you want things executed the way they need to be executed. And that's the only issue with Carson Wentz. Is I just don't see a guy who's, you know, now, of course, you know, he's young and he's still learning stuff, which is true. He's only started, like, two years with some stuff. But, you know, he's just not there in terms of where he needs to be in terms of understanding that he has to execute plays exactly as they're, as they're done. And it now can't does, be halfway. How does, does Wentz compare to Flacco? Because I kept hearing people mention the Flacco comparison for, um, for Lynch. And I was like, I always thought it was a more apt comparison for Wentz. But uh, – Oh, for Lynch. You address that. Well, Lynch is for much wins. more explosive. For Wentz. Oh, for Wentz. I was wondering why people didn't use the right. Flacco comparison for Wentz. Oh, well, Wentz is uh, less explosive. Wentz is a much better athlete. Oh, yeah, he's a much better athlete than Flacco. Much, yeah. much better. He's faster. He's more explosive. He's more yeah. dynamic. Yeah. If Flacco isn't the greatest of athletes, other than no. his... You know, no, they're 30 percentiles apart. I mean... Yeah. They're they're ways. Yeah. But um And you can you can see that in the pocket too with Flacco. I mean he just he can't move. Yeah, he's a pocket passer, you know, like he's right. You know, that has I mean, he, he can't even he can't even move around in the pocket much. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, he has those occasion occasional run. I mean he has those sneaky Peyton Manning esque runs, you know, where it's like I just mean like wow. moving around, like avoiding avoiding pressure and stuff. Like, well, he's never been the best at doing right stuff like 
that. So I always thought was yeah. they they never decided to shore up that part part of the field. But um, you know, it's, it's the Ravens. It's Ozzie Newsom. Maybe he'll get better. I don't know. But um, uh, in terms of offensive line evaluation, but yeah, um, Joe Stoddard had a good day, ish. Yeah, had uh, decent explosiveness. Sure, Charles Rickon was not great, but uh, had decent explosiveness. Um, Joe Flat or Joe Stave had one of the best days in my opinion. He was third in my my stuff. Really? Yeah. And, and obviously that's just raw number stuff, right? I mean, he's got right. anemic tape, but okay. <laughs> it's uh, so he just you know, close your eyes. Yeah, no. It's, if you close your eyes and squint hard enough, you can maybe see that. Yeah. No, he's. It's not a bad Sudfeld tape at times, but yeah. Um, yes. Yes, Sudfeld yes, didn't have the best day overall. Uh, Goff was the one that, uh, I mean, he did I mean, again, on tape, he doesn't look like a great athlete. Didn't test like a great athlete. But as I stated, athleticism isn't really the biggest deal. It's more descriptive than predictive. Uh, but, you know, he has... I guess the things he has in common, you can quote me on this with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, is his lack of lower body strength. So, uh, <laughs> so that's something I should look for in elite level quarterbacks. Is, I is guess a weak lower that's body. what you should be looking for is a weak lower body. Yeah. Uh, if you really wanted to do that. But yeah, uh, it's not that great. Uh, what? A 28 inch vertical? Sign him up. 27 inch vertical, actually. But, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that great. Uh, Connor Cook was okay-ish. Uh, kind of uh, Tim Couch-ish in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <listening>. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but he played basketball. Tim Couch played basketball, guys. So, yeah. Um, that he's faster than Tim Castle, but just similar in terms of explosive lower body strength is what I'm trying to, uh, I guess, get across. Uh, Brissett was similar to disappointing Carr. Disappointing. Yeah, I mean, well, he wasn't the greatest athlete overall. I know he's black, but I mean, you know, he's. Not. Well, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. He was in the 12th. He was in the 12th percentile for size and length. Right, right, right. For a six-five big quarterback, that's not what you want. Right, right. right. I mean, uh, short arms, small hands, not not ideal. Right. Yeah, he definitely has short arms. Uh, and that was which, that was very disappointing to me. Yes, it was very disappointing to the ladies as well. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess get into the shorter quarterback. Josh Woodrum did he actually did fine. I mean, he did all right. Um, he had decent explosiveness. Uh, Churchill three cone was a three. You know, three cone was about six seven four, which is pretty decent. I mean, we're talking about feet here. You know, um, we're talking three cone. So I mean, it was decent. Hogan was. Uh, I mean, it was average-ish in terms of explosiveness, below average speed and below average dynamic speed. 6.93 cone, though. So, um, I don't know. As you know, I don't like Kevin Hogan. So, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm a little biased in terms of how bad he was. But, yeah. Uh, Brandon Gowdy 
there's a case that could be made. He's Brandon Gowdy's kind of like if Keith Winning and Kirk Cousins had an unathletic baby, that, that would be <laughs> Brandon Dowdy because of his testing. So, like, if you took those two guys together and then they had an unathletic baby, that that would be uh, Dowdy in terms of athleticism. Um, and of course, it's on tape, he wasn't that out. You know, he was, you know, just, you know. I mean, most of these guys we were, were kind of expecting, um, you know, to not look that uh, great in terms of other stuff. Brandon Allen was tight. I can't believe I'm saying this. But yeah, he's Tyler Wilson uh, in terms of his uh, oh. testing numbers. Uh, oh, if you guys remember man. Tyler Wilson. The yeah. Uh, yeah. Benjamin yeah. Benjamin Albright special. Ben, ben really liked him, yeah. Yeah, and explosiveness, very similar. A little bit faster and a little bit more dynamic, but, I mean, that that's – I'm trying to get as close to that as possible, and that's kind of where it comes, especially in terms of hand size to a certain extent. It's kind of like that. And then, of course, we get two to short – or the short, the Cody Kessler – who was like Case Keenum in terms of athleticism, Aaron Murray-ish in terms of that. Um, not as fast as Aaron Murray, but similar in terms of that sort of area in terms of his athleticism. And then we get to even shorter, and I think the shortest. Oh, Boykin. Yeah, Boykin was a little disappointing to me. Um, yeah. But I was a guy that a lot of people talked about as being a great athlete and possibly even a projection to another position. And I guess right. in a weird sort of way, he helped himself to not be moved to another position at least. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, the. He honestly was like Johnny Manziel, explosive. Really? In terms of all that stuff, yeah. Similar, at least in terms of height and stuff. Um, obviously bigger than him, but similar in terms of uh, explosive lower body strength. Didn't do the three cone, though. So I'm surprised he didn't do the three cone, but yeah, didn't do the three cone. Did the short shot, did a 4 4, uh, which is not the greatest, but uh, yeah, that's what he did. And of course, we get to Vernon Adams, who's a sad little story about Vernon Adams who, you know, had, like I said, Brad Banks, Kevin Federick, uh, who's the other guy out here? Um, he's Gary Oh, okay. Oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask how he stacked up against a guy like Stefan LaFours. Stefan LaFours? LaFours. L- Is he a much taller a- person? A F O R six feet even, or five eleven and change, something like that. Stefan Lafour from Louisville, right? The first Louisville. of the uh, first of the Bobby Petrino quarterbacks at Louisville. So. Oh yeah, he's somewhere here. I think he's a lot taller than you described, though. That's the only no. thing. I mean. I've stood next near the man. He he might be six feet tall. Hmm. Stefan. Four pounds, about 
you know, like I said, maybe right at six feet or five eleven and seven eighths, something like that. Um, I think he tested really well in terms of speed. I think he was like a four five five, something like that, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, he was around for a pick. Yep. And yeah, he's six foot. Yeah. Yep. He's, I'll buy he's faster. Yeah, he's like faster four though. five something, right? So oh, four, four six actually. Really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it okay. says at the combine. That's ridiculous. Okay, I thought he. I knew he was a pretty. That was yeah, a good actor. Anyway. Four six two. With a forty. I say broad is similar. I mean, yeah. I mean, although Adams had a thirty inch broad, uh, and he has a better short shoulder three cone. He's a guy that could have turned into a little slot receiver if he wanted to. I think he's a coach right now, though. He has a coach. That's what he does now, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not really the best comparison for uh, Vernon Adams. But as I said, the least athletic guys, right? So (laughs) A.B. Adams could – and as you know, I mean, I – as, you know, what I do – of course, the Wonderlicks haven't really been released. I don't know. There's a lot of controversy with that stuff. But it is just something that I kind of uh, dabble in a little bit uh, because, you know, I just do. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, other than that, I mean, that's it. I usually just go strictly film-based approach, and I just like to look at athletic stuff just to, you know, just to dabble, just to see, you know, what's what, you know. Because sometimes you will have a quarterback that could do the wire receiver conversion. I mean, what people forget about Julian Edelman is that, yeah, Edelman was a quarterback, but as an athlete at wide receiver, he was pretty much a slot receiver in terms of yeah. his athleticism. You know, so it just kind of was like getting the team to believe in him, you know, and, and when you have a team like, you know, uh, the, the Patriots who were like, we need a top gun volleyball scene, and we think you're one of the guys that could fit into that, uh, you know, that make. What do, you, what do you think, Edelman? And he's like, sure, I'll put on some sunglasses and play some volleyball with you, Tom Brady. So, yeah, you know, so that's kind of how that <laughs> turned out for Edelman. So Now, I mean, despite being, you know, white, wasn't Edelman more explosive than Adams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Not even close. Yeah, I mean, Edelman I thought, had a really good so. three gun and everything else like that. Right. So, again, Adams has the sort of, you don't turn this into a wide receiver type of athleticism. It's like what happened with Jordan Lynch, you know, when everybody was like, he can't throw, but we could turn him into something else, and then he didn't test like anything else. <laughs> right, exactly. So then you're like, we don't know what to – sorry. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Maybe you can uh, do something else, I guess. You know, life after football, stuff like that. Right, or you could, you know, install a wing T offense and let him be your wing T uh, tailback. I mean, it, it. I was only half kidding. I guess I am more than half kidding, but I, I used to talk to people about, you know, the whole challenge of a guy like Tebow is that he was born, you know, basically 65 years too late. If, if it was the era of Iron Man football playing two ways and... It would have worked if it was back <laughs> then, but... Uh, the, the basic thing is now is that, again, teams want to 
reduce. I mean, again, what teams are looking for, they're looking for efficient offenses. They're looking for offenses that don't turn the football over. And they're looking for offenses that, you know, score, you know, right rapidly. And when you have a guy like Tebow, he's going to have some games where things go well, and he's going to have some games where things don't go so well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like one one of these things is not like the other, you know. When when you have a guy like Tebow, yeah, if you committed to him, because that's that's always the question that all the Tebow lovers kind of make is like, well, if he committed to him, maybe he would have been successful because he did do some you know interesting things. But it's just that no GM in their right mind wants to commit to something that is that far off of the norm, you know, in terms of what teams want. I mean. Sure, Russell Wilson is a dual threat quarterback, but he's also a guy that could, you know, throw from the pocket and win from the pocket. You know, it's what mm-hmm. you know Brian Billick says all the time. You know, in terms of that stuff, it's what everybody says, really. You know, you you want guys that definitely and there's definitely unique. You, there's definitely a place for uniqueness, but Tim Tebow is a very unique type of quarterback. You know, so you know, there's nothing really efficient about. Him, whereas guys like Wilson and stuff like that, you could see them as classic sort of West Coast guys that have that dual threat sort of thing. Right, and that's the, you know, every once in a while you will hear somebody put out the, uh, you know, I, there was a ESPN cover with the whole the new prototype or whatever, and had Russell Wilson and. Uh, uh, Kaepernick, and I mean, we heard something somewhat similar when when Vic first hit. I mean, there's always sort of a a cycle of excitement and then backlash, excitement and then backlash. You know, whether it be um, Vince Young, whoever it is, where hey, this guy's a terrific athlete, but he can also play quarterback, and then at some point we we turn on them. Uh, I mean, Steve Young, people. I guess not some age, but don't remember that Steve Young was a bust or considered to be a bust at one point. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, He was fine when he was in the USFL, you know. Uh, But then when he leaves the USFL and makes his way to Tampa Bay, where he didn't want to be, as long as he went to the USFL, in fact, was to avoid having to play in Tampa Bay. But unfortunately, when that leaves... It wasn't just that. I mean, it wasn't just that. It, it 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 was... that with Tampa Bay having a lack of success, going, then going on the 49ers and then being viewed by some of the fan base as a guy that pushed Joe Montana out of town. Right. You know, as well. Correct. And they're like, right. what's this guy who couldn't make it at Tampa Bay doing here pushing <laughs> Joe Montana, greatest quarterback <laughs> ever, out of town? You know? Right. Yeah, so – he comes in, you know, as a reclamation project, in essence, that caught the attention, you know, of of one Bill Walsh, and Bill Walsh thinks, you know, I can fix him, I can rebuild him, I can retool him, I can whatever. And, you know, for a couple of years, he's backing up, uh, obviously, Joe Montana and being, you know, fixed, whatever term you want to use, uh, re, you know, reconditioned, and with Joe Montana's back situation, eventually Steve Young is getting more and more playing time and playing better and better. But he still had to get the quote-unquote monkey off his back, and, you know, there's the famous scene of him 
actually having uh, Harris Barton, I believe it is, pull the monkey off his back, literally. But um, the there is still a sense of dis-ease about the quote-unquote mobile quarterback. Um, I mean, the, the guy that scrambles, the guy that makes plays for the seat. And Cam Newton, of course, is the most recent successful version of, you know, whoever you want to name. And should he have long-term success, not that it will change people's minds about how they assess these things, but there will be, I mean, Russell Wilson is having, you know, obviously successful career. Kaepernick had some success initially and, you know, obviously has struggled after having initial success. Somewhat like Cordell Stewart, who people forget was, you know, an AFC MVP at one point. You know, people sort of wiped that from their minds. Well, Culpepper. Yeah, right. Culpepper, right? He was never an MVP, but... Really but good he, uh, for... He was really good you know, for a while. Four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then had the knee injury. of injury, and right. The knee injury and moving to a team that wasn't as good as the other team. And, yeah. Uh, right. Things happened. But, right. I mean, when they have sustained success, I mean, even Steve Young was a guy that had a fairly short period of sustained success. Uh, he was really super successful in that rather short period, so that helps. But it, it's not like he was a dominant figure in the league for a decade. Um, you know, he, he he really had about a six-year run. You know, I mean, it was it, it was a great, great run. He was amazing uh, for that period, you know, of about six or seven years. But, you know, it wasn't. Like I said, it's not like, you know, Brady's career or Manning's career where this goes on and on and on for darn near 20 years of Barb or whatever. Nothing like it. And then in the case of, you know, Carol Stewart, once again, he had about a, a really good four years. Uh, Vic had two really good years, but two different kinds of really good years. He had, you know, his, what, second year in the league? He rushed for 1,038 yards or something crazy. I mean, he held yeah, a bunch of rushes. crazy. Rushing records and stuff, and through well enough, like, but it was, his completion percentage was never was not great at that point. I think he was like a fifty-five point something percent or whatever, fifty-six, something that somewhere. Yeah, he's never had a great percentage. Yeah, right. 50, it got better <laughs> eventually, um, and then he had that one year, uh, obviously with the Eagles, where you know he had a two-to-one interception to touchdown interception ratio and. Was, I think he was, what, 59? I think he was just under 60. He was like 59.9 or something. You know, he, he came up just a little bit short. But as you pointed out, never, you know, exactly a guy driving nails with the football exactly in terms of accuracy. Um, but, yeah, at one point he was, you know, people talked about could he be the new prototype. Uh, Favre was a really good athlete. People kind of forget that Favre was a, like a 4 six flat guy when he first came out, despite the fact he was like a good 15, 20 pounds overweight. Uh, when he showed up with the combine, he was, you know, he was not exactly a rigorously trained athlete, but just a really, just a naturally talented guy. And I think he ran four six eight four six something like that. And, uh, and he was a, you know, and if he'd been in better shape, who knows what he could have run. Uh, but that was before guys really trained for the combine. I mean, he just, basically showed up and, you know, was impressive. 
but not impressive enough to go in the first round. He still was a second rounder, partially due to you know being from Southern Miss, and once again, partially due to, I mean, he wasn't thought to be a super, you know, football savvy guy. Quite frankly, Jim, do you have a wonderlick for far? Yeah, it was about twenty something. I, I thought no. it was not super high. Yeah, like twenty-two, I believe. I'm trying to pull this up. So that puts him right at the bottom edge of acceptable for quarterbacks, right? Well, it was a different time back then when Favre was doing his a uh, thing for the most part. I mean, Favre came out during the. Uh, well, yeah, he had twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out during the time again when I interviewed uh, Jim Plunkett. About his uh, not Plunkett, Plummer, Jake sorry, Plummer, Plummer, yeah, right, right, right. different guy, Jake Plunkett, Jake Plummer. Uh, he basically said that uh, he just showed up and took the test, didn't study yep. for it. Um, let's go play football. Now that might oh, have been just because it was Jake Plummer, maybe. Yeah, that sounds like Jake Plummer. That might be something Jake Plummer would just do. But because <laughs> I asked him what his weather look was, and he was very defensive about it. He was, he was, again, as I say, I ask people weird questions at times, and they're like, why do you want to know my wonder like I'm like, well, you know, I, you know, I know this guy's wonder like I know this, but I don't know your wonder like I mean, it doesn't matter if you got a low wonder like but what did, what was it, you know? <laughs> You know, he kind of took it. Now, of course, I didn't phrase it that way. I just said that was last time with the Wonderlic. What was your Wonderlic? And then he just got very defensive, and you know, I was like, the Wonderlic doesn't matter. You know, yeah, <laughs> what matters is what you do on the football field, and what you do in the film room, and hard work and determination, and you know, that whole <laughs> sort of spiel kind of thing. You know, just watch the tape, uh, <laughs> that, that stuff. Um, so I didn't get his wonder like, but so that, yeah, I mean, his, that was his that's his way of saying he got an eighteen. Is that what you're trying to say, Jim? <laughs> I don't know. I just maybe I could ask you know uh, you know Sunquest. I could you know again waterboard him or something like that and get that information. Oh, but, um, yeah, Ted, sure knows Jake Wonderlick. Um, yeah, you should, you should try. You should try. Yeah, reach out to him. Yeah, but uh, like far falls into the sort of area of, like, I have a lot of people, I have about 500 Wonder Licks from 1998 to now on virtually the majority of the quarterbacks that came out during that time period. Far falls into the dead zone kind of thing, where <laughs> the only Wonder Licks that you get are the people that were successful. The guys right. that weren't successful, a handful of guys, you get the Wonder Lick. And because I don't have a, the uh, an ability to, like, actually get, like, what was the actual average of the Wonder like during that time period, it's really difficult for me to kind of work with that, I guess. Uh, especially since, you know, like, when, and every time the Wonder like gets discussed, people go, well, you know, Jim Kelly had a 15 and Dan Marino had a 15 and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, but I was back in 1983. And we have no way of knowing what the average Wonderlick was because we only have a handful of guys from that time period who, who they reported the number. So what if the average back then was 15? We don't know, you know. So, like, because of that, it's 
it's kind of hard to do because you because I would say is that instead of looking at it that way, if I actually had all the wonder, like, I could possibly potentially find out that oh, the the average is fifteen, and the results are this, just as the results are in every other era, if you will. So like the wonder look is is from that perspective, it, it's kind of a thing where. Um, it's like what I did with uh, a passing efficiency, you know, touch and interception ratio. When I applied mm-hmm. it to 1983 uh, to 1993, the results were pretty much all the successful quarterbacks were above average in terms of touch and interception ratio, just as all the quarterbacks that are really successful now, you know, from 2005 to 2015 are guys that all had above average touchdown interception ratios. So it's now of course the ratios are much higher now because again, back in nineteen eighty three the average touchdown interception ratio was about one point five to one, you know? And uh some guys had like point I don't even think it was one point five. It was more like one to one back then. <laughs> you know, so like like back then, you know, it was much less efficient compared to today where guys today are, you know, averaging about 2.53 to 1 in terms of touchdown interception ratio. But the, the average is the same, essentially. So, like, if you have an above-average touchdown interception ratio, that's where all the successful quarterbacks are versus guys who don't fall in that area. That might be the same with the Wonder Lake, but, again, I just don't have a large enough sample size. I just don't have all the shared numbers. That's the only issue with, like, the radar guns for measuring arm strength is I really like what Albright's doing, but he only has like a hundred dudes in the data set and he's missing a lot of dudes. You know, he doesn't have Teddy Bridgewater's, you know, uh, well, Albert's in, in terms of data. It's uh, I think our labs does it. Oh, well, our and he just, yeah, he just posts it. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. And, Another big problem with that is they're not. There's no drill where they throw the ball as hard as they can. I mean, yeah, there's no there's true. no pass with they're, they're putting 100 percent on it. There's a lot of touch on these balls at the combine. So that would be an interesting. People all talk about new drills or changing certain things. That would be an interesting one if they did actually have, you know, them set up in a cage or set up in a wherever they did set up. And just have them, you know, throw it as hard as humanly possible into a. I completely agree, hundred percent. Mattress or whatever the heck. <laughs> I would make two changes to the combine if I if I was in charge. I would personally mm-hmm. would do measure velocity of quarterbacks with like a drill where there's someone just sitting behind a net with a radar gun and the quarterback can running start throw the ball as hard as they can. Then, second thing I would do was. I, I don't know if I'd get rid of the bench press, but I would add the kneeling powerball toss so we could have another measure of upper body explosiveness. That would be that's there's just not enough upper body measurements going on in the combine and the bench press is kind of a flawed one. Right. Now, Jim, I know you have had discussions with others about the powerball toss and having it either supplement or perhaps even replace the bench press. And you seem to me not a hundred percent in favor, so I'll let you address or or just or mention <laughs> what your thinking was. Uh, it's a very sparky answer, right there. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, okay. um, 
it's not that I don't uh, like. I'm not trying to negate the Powerball sauce. It's just, I'm, it's just you. Like I don't know. I just it's it's one of those things where uh, again it's a high school sort of thing, and sure there's a lot of there's similar things in Spark to what they do at the combine, but it's not always as accurate. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the power vault is just one of those things where it's a new thing. We definitely could develop a sort of thing and do it. Uh, the only question, I mean, it's definitely something new to do. As I always said, I'd like something to measure punch, you know, the power of a yep. person's punch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what I'm yeah. looking a little bit more so for. But um, I don't know. I I, I just kind of roll my eyes whenever there's Spark stuff. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of Spark. Is <laughs> my own. That's all I'm trying yeah, to we, say. Yeah, we've, ta- we've, ta- we've talked about that. I, I know your thoughts on it, but I just think of addressing the upper body is – the, the next drill, other than the velocity stuff, because that, that should be right. a no-brainer. And I definitely think there should be something, you know, upper body that's a little better than the bench, than, than bench. Yeah. for the most part, depending on the position, is, uh, you know, it, unless you have, like, a ridiculously low amount, it doesn't matter as much for certain positions. Right. And, there's and a, it there's doesn't a lot matter if you get a ton. Yeah. And there's it's a lot, not rotational either. So. Yeah. Uh, Neil and Power talks is a lot more rotational upper body, and it's kind of measuring uh, different stuff. And in terms of punch and stuff, that's that's more uh, lateral, which would be or not lateral, vertical, which would be sort of like a it'd be a more effective bench press measurement, basically the, the punching type stuff, which would be great. Right. It would be also really instructive for certain positions, maybe more so than others. I mean, I think it probably correlates pretty well to a quarterback's ability to drive a football and it probably correlates pretty well to, you know, obviously an offensive or defensive lineman's ability to, you know, impart power into an it's opponent. It's football. It's a punchy right. position, Bill. Yeah. Like right. wide receivers yeah. are punching quarterbacks to get them off them. Cornerbacks right. are punching mm-hmm. wide receivers to mess up their routes. You know, like running backs are punching defenders to get them to stop their momentum from going to the quarterback, tight ends are punching defensive ends. You know, like it's it's a very punchy football's a very punchy position, Bill. And I just wish we had something measuring the punch. You know. Got it. No, I understand what you're saying. If only kickers punched as well, you know. If only the problem with the punch thing is the, it, you have to get a sort of uh, not a radar but a sensor for that, and yeah. that's sort of high tech. And I think the NFL might go be a little wary of that. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. So, but I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, some of them are doing the force plates, though. Not every team, of course, but Jacksonville, right. Atlanta. You know, I mean, right. It's something new, but I mean, they they've already been talking about doing stuff new, anyways. I mean, that's what. At least what I don't know. Remember the guy's name? He was a white guy, but he was yeah. talking about yeah. the white, white guy. guy I remember him now. <laughs> oh, that guy, guy. and he was talking oh, about. Yeah, I, know you're, I know who you're talking about, right? The combine. Uh, uh, but he was the guy with national scouting, right? Right. He was talking yeah, about. You know, know. Yeah. 
we, you know, like he basically was like every every criticism he was just kind of addressing it. He was like, yeah, we know some of these things are kind of bleh. we 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 get your criticisms. We're gonna try to think of some ideas to do some extra things here and there. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know. So you know, there might be something like that, hopefully in the pipeline, where they they add something to. It doesn't matter if they add something. They just don't want you to take away stuff. Yeah, that's that's know? the stuff I'm worried. I'm worried they're going to be like, oh, we have this new upper body thing. Now we're going to get rid of bench. And it's like, we should never get rid of no. anything. No, because I mean, you're going to have never- bench people that are going to you know <laughs> rise up like that old man in the back is like, I'm going to get my guns. They're going to keep the bench. You know, because they've been using the bench for as long as they've been alive. You know, it's like those right. guys in the back that are you know. 60, yeah, 70 should, years old. There's just no reason to get rid of anything. The more stuff they do, the better. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I want to know as much about these guys as I can. And removing tests that might tell me a little bit of something is not going to be yeah. beneficial, in my, in my opinion. My thing was to get rid of the way they currently do the quarterback wide receiver stuff with them throwing, you know, their sort of yeah, boring, scripted, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to go to – my thing was when you name whoever the quarterbacks are who are going to be invited, you send them a little stripped-down playbook, in essence, a series of plays, 20 plays, or, you know, wouldn't have anything extensive. And you run seven on seven. And to, but somebody to might get of, hurt. Yes. Oh, because no one ever gets hurt running the forty or or benching. <laughs> so, well, I mean, they pull a hammy. They re-aggravate an injury. That's my point. My point. Nobody's that, ever how, torn the ACL is, being fully healthy by running the forty. <laughs> At least I don't know. That would suck for that person if the, if they exist. But um, I'm just saying, somebody like, somewhere like, out there is is yelling right now. I'm sure there's somebody who's bad and shit, but but I mean that's what I was driving at is you're talking about you know a quick little simulated red zone series, a quick little simulated you know third and eight or whatever it is. You give them a little a very simple little script that takes what ten minutes probably. Obviously, there's a chance of injury, but there's a chance of injury. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the 40 is probably right now the most injurious and then probably Benjamin far behind it. Right. Of, I mean, somebody gets hurt every year at the Combine. We get it. Bench I mean, we could make 40. the argument, you know, I could pull out the the study about how you're more likely, you know, have a higher chance of getting killed by a pack of bees and stuff like that <laughs> or driving in your car in a car accident. I mean, sure. Anything can happen. I get it. But agents, you know, they live with the extreme possibilities, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, if police officers had agents, they'd, eat, they'd be even more paranoid, you know. Like, I could get shot. It's a really, really low chance, but my agent told me that I could get shot, you know, like if I work as a police officer. So I think the, the main one, too, is if you're doing seven on seven, the – the DB wide receiver stuff is going to be where agents are going to be like, well, I don't know if I want that. Yeah, I don't want my, I don't want Mac Alexander looking 
you know, like a fool, you know, in these seven on sevens. <laughs> right, right, getting flat out schooled by Sterling Shepard or whatever. Yeah, I get you. Um, and I, I guess it's I like those power that. cleans. You know, it's like all that stuff. Like I remember all these people like, we should do the power clean. We should do all these other things. Oh, that's and I'm stupid. like, we would never do that. that. It's it's waste of breath. <laughs> There's no way that will ever happen. No, I know, I know. It is. Like, I mean, you're talking, but you're talking about a better sort of measure of upper body explosion in terms of, you know, American football. Uh, that obviously is one of the lifts that is probably a little more football-ish, you know, in terms of its its presentation and application. Uh, probably more so than you know, what we've got going right now with, with Finch. But, yeah, I mean, I there are certain things that are, are traditions because they're traditions. We do it because that's what we do. And then some of these things make actual sense. Like some of these things I wouldn't want to see anybody mess with. But I agree. It would be nice to see the punch thing or the quarterback, you know, heaving the ball thing. And then once again, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's certainly a chance of injury. I mean, how often does the guy actually throw full on, hard as he can, you know, <laughs> held them for leather? It doesn't right. happen very often. And once again, if I were someone's age, you'd be like, well, you know, my dude, you know, messes up his ulnar collateral ligament or messes up his <laughs> shoulder joint doing that. Who's going to pay me? You know, who's going to pay? So... I don't know how, how that would go over either, but these are, once again, we're dealing with our wish list, so we don't have to worry about right. the real world. We can just I don't say think, what our wish list is. I don't think they're ever going to change, uh, or at least recently. Like, I don't think anything's going to change with the combine. It's going to take them so yeah. long to, to change anything substantial. Yeah. I mean, they've made a few little changes this past year. I mean, there have been little, they changed the groupings a little bit. They changed. Uh, they changed oh, yeah, that else. sort of cosmetic stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Cosmetics, exactly. They changed some of those things. Yeah, uh, oh, there's so was, much going on. Look at, now the tight ends are on a different day. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop the now, now you have to watch. Pivotal TV. <laughs> Don't miss it. Right, I know, I know. Right, so yeah, there were some, there were some, some cosmetic changes. Um, there weren't any huge, giant, sweeping changes, and as you pointed out, there's a pretty good chance they probably, probably won't be any huge, sweeping, life-changing, you know, woo, mm-hmm. kind of change. Yeah, coming, coming now, or, or, or as you said, anytime soon. But my, like I said, my goal was just for us to make sort of a wish list, and then right. you know, whether or not it ever actually happens um, would be neither here nor there. So, <laughs> uh, sticking with, let me see. I guess the the last position group I want to discuss is the the other defensive backs. Uh, there's a the, the uh, besides cornerbacks, there's actually something else that goes on in the backfield of a defense, and. That's the safety position, a much discussed, much in my mind, much misunderstood position. Uh, and of course, some of the guys that were invited as cornerbacks will eventually become safeties. Some of them uh, probably shouldn't, but whether they should or shouldn't, that's what some of them is waiting for them in their future. 
Uh, I'll start with you, Ethan. When you look at the stuff that you do, uh, I guess it's sort of a two-part question. One is, what things do you find most indicative of what you think might lend itself to success at the safety position? And then secondarily, how did this particular safety class stack up in your work, you know, in the based on what you look at, what you examine? Yeah, so a lot of stuff I look at in terms of, I break it down strong safety, free safety. You know, I have all okay. my safeties grouped together, but uh, for strong safeties, I look at uh, T-Freak percentile heavily, uh, especially in the box guys, right? Cam Chancellor, Harrison Smith, those guys all scored 90th percentile. Uh, so when you're looking at, at this class, you, you're, you're kind of looking for that type of guy, and, and there isn't one really. But the only one that was close was Keanu Neal. Uh, he's 75th percentile. Uh, I can kind of pull up a comp for you if you want. Okay. Uh, 75th percentile is sort of in the range of uh, Dukey and Nacho. Uh, I don't remember if you remember Troy Nolan from Arizona State. I most certainly uh, do. He played some of that, uh, what we call devil backer position that we earlier discussed, which is sort of a high, yeah, yes, that's familiar with. Yeah. Jonathan Cyprian, kind of, those are kind of the, the size comparisons. Uh, but again, he's not in that Vaccaro, Cam Chancellor, TJ McDonald, Harrison Smith, kind of the, the 90% threshold. Uh, and there is nobody else that's close. So you, you don't really have that big menacing, strong safety in this class uh, that has a lot of the length that you look for. Uh, there's a, some guys in the 60th percentile, but a lot of them are, are more free safeties, actually. Uh, Simmons is in the 60th, Ramsey's in the 60th. And for free safeties, I think Sparks a little bit more important than T-Freak because those are guys that need to cover the whole field. They need to be able to move. And I was floored. I'm sure you were too, Jim, by Justin Simmons' combine performance. I was not expecting anything near what he put up. Uh, he was in the 89th percentile among all safeties for me terms of athleticism, and I was shocked by that. I did not see that on tape at all. So that was something I kind of need to maybe go back and watch him a little bit more and see if that translates. Uh, but, I mean, overall, Neil and Simmons were really the only guys that performed pretty well. Everybody else was below the 70th percentile. Sean Davis did well at corner, um, not so much at safety. Uh, and everybody else, there were some, there were some really bad ones at safety. I mean, AJ Stamps, pretty terrible combine performance. Darian Thompson, uh, Houston Carson, Lamarcus Brutus, all these guys are under the fifth percentile for SLA size length athleticism composite. So, pretty disappointing class. A lot of guys didn't do every drill either. So that was I only had 13 guys complete everything. Uh, Jalen Mills was kind of underwhelming. He was 7th out of the 13 and 23rd percentile. And I just wasn't very impressed with anybody other than the only guys that looked like they could be safeties, uh, long-term starters, were athletically and, and size-wise were Simmons and Neal. Obviously Ramsey, but that's that was, you already knew that. Right, okay. And same question to you, Jim. How, how did this class sort of compare looking at the things you do and then what things matter uh, to you in terms of the metrics that you use? Uh, sure. Well, 
Yeah, as you know, I, you know, I, I look at the production stuff, um, and there wasn't anybody in this class that tested extremely well production-wise in any one thing. Um, the guys that were decent, I mean, Simmons was better. I know I did a thing on him, and his agent was like, hey, can I, you know, use this stuff? I'm like, yeah, sure, fuck. Um, yeah, I should have like said, yeah, yeah, for twenty bucks or something. Yeah, um, I didn't really do that, but you know, I was thinking about it. But yeah, uh, you know, or something. You know, well, well, what there. you should do is work out an arrangement where you know, don't start charging twenty bucks for, say, I'll do it for all of your clients, and figure out something that would be a fair exchange, in exchange for me getting, you know, access right. to something or whatever. You know, I mean, figure out something. I get that. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to work with agents before, and they're always, uh, you know, so is this bad? Is there any way to make this look better? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> right, they want to make their reds look good. They don't care about where they are. Yeah. Right, of course. Right. So <laughs> I'm just kind of like, uh, I mean, yeah, Justin Simmons' production was, was relatively okay, I mean, again, above average at everything, you know, for the most part. Uh, Trey Get Dudley Giles is a guy that wasn't at the combine, so he cares about him, but he's really productive as well. From UMass, uh, Von Bell was free safety-ish in terms of his production profile. Uh, Kevin Bayard was kind of similar-ish. But not invited somehow. <laughs> like, I... Don't get it. Why wouldn't yeah. he be invited? What the heck? I don't know. Um, um, Derek Kindred's much better, right? I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Derek Kindred was a better athlete, but yeah. Well, but at least not a better football player. Statistic. But yeah. no, not a better football player, no. Yeah, <laughs> I'd much rather know Byron's athleticism than Kindred's. I don't know why Byron wasn't invited. He had to ask a, you know, call a cop, you know, something like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was much uh, more important for us to see Lamarcus Brutus text, test in the oh, second percentile. Yeah. Oh. yeah. See, see that that's the problem I have in this class. There, there wasn't a ton of once you leave guys like okay, the guys who had relatively clean production profiles. Like these are guys that I can kind of take their production and stand it up against a bunch of different people and go, all right, I feel good about this guy. Whew. Like, he could be a starter. You know, guys like Von Bell, guys like Bayard, Simmons, uh, Dudley Giles, uh, Jeremy Cash, uh, Caputo, uh, Carl Joseph, and... Caputo was there for you, huh? Interesting. In terms of production, I mean, yeah. But not okay. really athleticism, but yeah, production wise. Yeah, just because he's so tiny. I mean, similar to Cash in terms of production stuff. Okay. Um, Interesting. Jim, Jim, do you have numbers on Jim Leonard? Because that's what I keep thinking of when I watch Caputo. But Leonard was faster, more explosive, right? Oh, Jim Leonard. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do with Jim Leonard. Let me try to see here. Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard. I mean, I don't think he's Jim Leonard. I'll just put it that way. No, but, no uh, I don't think he's as athletic as Jim but, Leonard, but he he reminds he, me of him in certain ways, yeah. But but Leonard was much more productive in terms of uh, 
his solo tackle market share and um uh what's that other thing? I forget <laughs> what it was. But yeah, I mean uh oh. Also, yeah, because of uh, interception. No, one the interception? Yeah, actually it was. It was interception market share was a lot higher, and um, pass deflection market share was much higher. So he's just overall much more productive player. Got it. And then athletically, do you have do you have testing numbers for Leonard? Um, sort of. I mean, I have his forty. He ran about a four like, six three. Four six three. Okay, I thought it was something. Like yeah, at five eight one ninety one. So obviously, scouts were very impressed by that. But yeah. Um, no. No. They but didn't. he was he was a decent safety. Yeah, but I mean, for the yeah. most part, yeah, I mean, there's like 10 dudes who had relatively good offenses, uh, I mean, production, um, and everybody else had these just weird, strange profiles, you know, guys that are just ugly-looking profiles in terms of production. <laughs> guys like Brutus, guys like, uh-huh. you know, the so-called freak from Clemson, you know, guys oh. like uh, even oh. Darian Thompson, you know, who was, you know, produced kind of like the FCS version of uh, HaHa Clinton Dix, you know, who overall didn't have the greatest production, you know, in Alabama. Um, so it was just kind of odd in terms of that. In terms of athletic testing, uh, it's pretty much, I mean, as I said, I don't want to go through like, hey, you want to see a dead body, but it was kind of like that, you know, in terms of these safety prospects. Um I mean, I'm just kind of scrolling through. Uh, yeah, Darian Thompson, of course, had a terrible day. Of course, he had the flu or something like that. Oh, of course. Right. That, he this can't be a bad flu. athlete. There's something wrong. Yeah. Uh, we'll see his yeah, that, he, he, he played Mount West Conference, though. So. He'll, he'll run. He'll run. Don't worry. He'll run 4 or 5 8 at his uh, at his pro. <laughs> at his, you at think his pro in the blue turf? <laughs> I mean, Four five eight. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, sure, four four five eight is something you can work with, but I mean, it's it's not exactly happy smiley time. It's kind of like hmm time <laughs> at safety. So yeah, uh, DeAndre Houston Carson definitely was like eh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dion Bush was kind of eh. Didn't do everything, um, which was surprising because he's a Florida guy. Elijah Shumati was, yeah, he's going to do short shell three count either. That's the issue with all these guys. He's going to do short shell three count. So, well, obviously, well, probably for a reason. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, some people don't realize some of these guys, they're not doing these on purpose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, I, I mean, I would agree that Jalen Ramsey is probably the best safety safety out of the group if you consider him to be a safety. I guess there would be a cornerback, but yeah. Um, Jerron Curse was, uh, 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 and this is a guy, like I said, I mean, that was the whole selling point on him. Is he's gonna jump out of the right? He's related, yes, he is. Now, if I remember correctly, at 267 or something like that pounds, uh, the original freak ran like 448 and jumped like 40 inches or something crazy, right? Yeah, it was uh, – he was faster, but overall he had really good athleticism overall. Um, so, I mean, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, all that kind of stuff. 
Justin Simmons was a weird profile guy. Um, definitely had a free safety sort of testing numbers. You know, was 131st in explosiveness, 292nd in speed, 18th in dynamic speed. I thought he was huh. going to run slow, and he did run slow. Um, I did yeah. think he was dynamic. You know, like he didn't look really stiff on tape. Um, but he was somebody that I was afraid was really slow. And uh, for the most part, I mean, that's kind of what he looked like profile-wise. He doesn't have a clean – I mean, he doesn't have, like, elite-level athleticism um, overall in terms of his overall athleticism. But he does have something athletic profile-wise that could become a starter. And there's different types of guys starter-wise that – you know, guys like Ken Hamlin, I don't know if you guys remember. Former former quarterback yeah, from Ar- from Arkansas and the first victim – um, in terms of, you know, training camp fights of, I guess the, I guess he still holds the title, the undefeated cruiserweight um, MMA or whatever you want to call it, champion of the NFL, one Mr. Steve Smith Sr. I remember right. Ken Hamlin, who despite the fact that Hamlin was like six feet tall and 211 pounds, got his head handed to him uh, in a training are you, camp are fight. Are you talking about Ken one. Lucas? I think you're talking about Ken Lucas, the corner. Ken Hamlin, well, Hamlin was a, Hamlin got fights, but but not with the Smith. I don't think. In training camp, they they were never teammates. No, that was Ken Lucas. I'm pretty huh. sure. Uh, Ken Hamlin huh. got in bar fights <laughs> and uh, almost uh, died. Yeah, uh, that too. But I, I thought he fought Steve Smith at one point. Maybe I'm wrong. I just go back and check. A lot but of people he, fought Steve Smith. Yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> maybe, but maybe both <laughs> Ken Lucas and Ken Hamlin did. That was Lucas. <laughs> but um. Like, you know, Michael Lewis it was another safety that was similar to um, to Simmons. Uh, well, it's uh, well, kind of, sort of. What do you mean, kind of, sort of? What, it's what, a relative. <laughs> Reed Dowdy. In fact, <laughs> in fact, that might be the go-to comp. Although, Reed Dowdy's speed was a lot worse than... Uh, Simmons for size, but yeah, I mean that's kind of like a faster Reed Dowdy could be Simmons, okay. but I mean he had starter level athleticism. Like you could do now again, not elite level athleticism. No, no, but, of course not. But definitely something that you could look at and go, hey, this could be a potential starter for us until we get a better guy, and then you never get a better guy. But um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. AJ Stamps, of course. I know Bill's a fan of him. He's, he? No, um, no, no. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Stamps. Well, you're not a huge fan of Stamps. Oh no. Um, I thought you were <laughs> at least a fan. Were you kind of a? I mean, um, I, remember, I remember there was a point. Yeah. Maybe it was months I, ago. I, there was a point I where you're like, yeah, this AJ Stamps. I said he's a hitter. Um, I don't think right, he's a right. I mean, he, I thought I'm knocking people around, but he wasn't. I noticed he wasn't very quick, and he wasn't right. great in coverage, even yeah. before, long before this. Um, a little over aggressive kind of, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, like most in guys coverage. were really heavy hitters. Most of the heavy hitters are are that uh, right. when they are in coverage. I'm trying to think of the guys I really like. See, the funny thing is. Uh, I mean, Cash is obviously the guy I really like, and right. Carl Joseph. The guys I really like mm-hmm. tend to get hurt this year. It seems. Um, I, I like Cash Rice. I'm taking my 
Bayard I really like. He's he managed to stay healthy. That's what we have a few healthy guys that really like this baby. Basically all the guys you like the NFL doesn't like. Wallace Scott, I'm a big fan of him, but he didn't get invited right. to come on, not really. Uh there's a kid who's starting to gain a little bit of traction who's played both corner and safety uh from um Saint um oh what do you call it? Um oh god. Uh formerly NAIA school just came over from NAIA. Um God, God, God. But um Solomon Saint Pierre is the kid I'm thinking of. Uh but he he's a guy that people some people think he's a, a corner, some people think he's a safety. Uh, I think it's his pro day testing will probably help people sort of sort some of that out. I mean, this is the safety class sort of a weird. I said this, you know, during the season, a weird safety class. I did that back during the season. Yeah. And, you know, there's a few guys who are really good at, like, a lot of specialist safeties. There's not too many generalist safeties. Like, they do everything fairly well. There's not a lot of those guys in this class. But if you want a specialist, if you want a guy who's particularly good at this one, maybe two things, you can find that guy. Some guys are even great at doing one or two things, but it's hard to find a guy that's good at everything. You mean a practice squad safety is what you're saying? There's a lot of those, and there's even a yeah. few, you know, situational, like some of the kind of defense you run or whatever. I mean, there's guys who could start. Right. I mean – I mean, to 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 I guess to end the sort of discussion with the last few guys to this, um, yeah, Derek Ken, Ken, uh, uh, Kinder Kindred from TCU um, was probably one of the better second to Ramsey in terms of testing. Um, was short though, but yep. all the stuff that I do really like heights and arm length and all these other sort of stuff. At least with the results, have been kind of eh. I mean, unless we're talking about strong safeties, uh, which is kind of what uh, you know, what's kind of alluded to with you know with Ethan was that those strong safeties, yeah, you kind of want guys that are you know the kind of freaky guys, size wise and all that other kind of stuff because you know traditionally we think of strong safeties as those enforcer types, but when it comes to free safety, the best ones have been five ten, five eleven, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the guys, you know. So, exactly. Um, it's now, of course they were fast, you know, like Eric right. you know, um, and of course Thomas, but and instincts and everything else. But yeah, it's it's um, yeah, but yeah, Kindred was. I was surprised about Kindred because TCU guys have been notorious for being slow, and Kindred came and actually was relatively you know fastish. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, he wasn't—he uh, wasn't a good athlete in my stuff, though. I only 57th percentile for Kindred, and with his size and length composite, only eight percent. It kind of was like, and uh, where does he play? <laughs> kind of a—he can't play strong safety because he doesn't have enough size, and only 57th percentile athlete. I'm not sure he could play free safety. Uh, I mean, he did run well, but the other stuff it wasn't really as impressive. Yeah. So. Uh, Lomax was kind of uh, slow max. <laughs> you had that one. Uh, you had that one uh, loaded up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it was an easy one to get, so uh, I had to get it while I could. You know, had to make. Had to make it. 
So, uh, right, right. you know, kind of chip one in, you know, so to speak. Uh, yeah. And Ryan Smith, uh, the, that dude, I've not seen any tape on him. I know he played at, I think, the MIAC somewhere. Oh, uh, North Carolina Central. You had him at safety? Uh, I mean, that's yep. how I had him in my thing. Oh, know? I had him at corner. Well, he's played both in his career. Ryan Smith, he's who okay. you talking about, I assume? Yeah, yeah, North Carolina Central, yeah. Um, we talked about him before the combine. Yeah. I here's, here's, what I will say, here's what I will say. There's a couple of games I would recommend um, if you are trying to. Uh, I would recommend you take a look at him in the game against Howard University. Uh, Shaw University is another game I might direct you to. If you're trying to see him do what he does um, at a fairly high level, let's see who else. What other games would I point? I don't think he's a good enough athlete to dig up that tape. To be honest, he was mediocre at best. I mean, very limited size and length. I mean, average athlete at best, and obviously small school guy. I'm not sure I want to. That's a guy I want to look at on day three at all. I mean. I don't know about you. Using the things that you use, Jim, where do you stack up? I mean, in terms of what he did, he he was very similar to Eric Waddle. Um, you know, wasn't quite as fast or dynamic, uh, but was similar in terms of that type of athleticism profile. Uh, you know, ran four four seven, had four zero nine six eight eight three cone. Um, definitely not the biggest guy, uh, but then again, Eric Weddle wasn't really either. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a, you know, a speed, dynamic speed type of free safety guy. You know, of course, he's small school, but, I mean, this is what we have to work with, guys. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's not a lot of other stuff here. There's not so, a lot of not safety. There's a lot of blah at safety, but there's not a lot of do everything. Safety. Well, most of the guys that were, you know, the guys that were decent, I mean, on tape, uh, didn't really, you know, they didn't do anything at the combine, or didn't do a lot of things, you know, cash, didn't really do, do we much. Know what, uh, do we know what Carl, uh, Carl Joseph's medical was? Do we ever get anything back from that in the combine? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing that he had during the season. He just isn't fully <laughs> recovered from it yet. Nothing new. Um, supposedly, I didn't know if there was anything that came up. I mean, essentially, it's he's healing. I mean, there's no, there's nothing terrifying. If that's what you're asking. It wasn't one of those, you know, like with Jalen Smith, was like, oh, you know, it wasn't like that. It was like, oh, my God, there's two foot of, you know, two feet of damaged nerve in your leg. It wasn't one of those deals. You know, one of those kind of things where people are terrified. Uh, so uh, right. he is he is of the opinion that he should be able to do at least some things athletically at his pro day. Uh, he doesn't know if he'll run the 40, but he, he thinks he'll do he some field drills by that point. He thinks, I mean, I'm just going from what he said. Uh, he, he, I'm telling he him what he needs to do. Right now. Jim, where do you he have him rated on your safety list? Call Joseph? Yeah. Um, I think I have him as a fourth or fifth. Something like that. Is Jeremy Cash still your number one safety? 
Now, my number one safety for – it depends what you're talking about. My number one strong mm-hmm. safety is Cash. My number one free safety is Von Bell. And that's pretty much been that way for a while. Um, or cash is kind of in that edge safety sort of thing too. Right, mm-hmm. they're popular edge safety. Yes, the growing sensation of sweeping the nation. Of course, Eric Stryker looks like he can't even do that now. He's not. I know. Athletic uh, enough to even do that. You know, unfortunately for Eric Stryker, Cyrus Quanjos don't come around that often in the draft. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're wow. very rare to find a guy with that combination of. Slowness and uh, stiffness doesn't happen that often at the offensive line position. So, too bad. Yeah, for sure. that's, a, that's a guy that I saw some people having, you know, early second at one point. And, and we played Oklahoma. Yeah, I guess that's why they had it. Which kind of rough stuff. I mean, it's, it, I, I always go back to what Alex Brown always said, and I agreed with him, which is that everybody says the question of, what is Eric Stryker? What is Eric Stryker? What is he? We don't know. What is he? He's exactly what he was in Oklahoma. He's, you know, a nickel linebacker that's undersized, yep. you know, yep. and he kind of blitzes a little bit and he does a little thing here, does a little thing there. I mean, you know, he plays kind of a star linebacker position. So, right. you know, that's what he is, you know? Yeah. It's just that you want him to be more than that. And unfortunately he's, Kind of not. He's not more than that. He's just, you know, star linebacker. Make a linebacker type. It's undersized. Right. And, you know, now he's a day three guy. That's <laughs> what he, I don't think he is. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there is some, you know, defensive coordinator, somebody out there who is creative and interesting enough to try to Patriot. do something with him. Yeah, right. There you go. That's a good example. <laughs> right. Somebody like that. If there's somebody like that who will try to do something, that. they'll draft them in like the fourth round and they'll be like, of course, you know, they would <laughs> do something like that. Well, the Patriots haven't really been having the best draft classes in the last couple of years, but um, don't tell Bill that. But yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I guess they haven't really been it recently. Despite the reputation. I'm just saying their their second choice is always, I'm saying this much, their second choices are always better than their first choices. So, you know, the the, the first choice is always kind of, I mean, again, Trey Jackson over, you know, Shaq Mason. At least they get it right at the end, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean. (laughs) It's just so stuff like that that confuses me. No, I agree. Or Marquise Lee over Allen Robinson, Jaguars. Yeah, I was never a big fan of Marquise Lee. I just thought it was like overhyped and overrated. I never really trust these USC guys in general. I just think it's bigger kids, they splash, and it just starts keeps them up too high. Alan Robinson, well, I I think I think Juju Smith is going to make you eat those words, but okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I know better than them, but I don't know <laughs> how he's going to stack them against the receivers that will be in a spot. 
Well, wherever he stacks up, he's going to be a good pro. I don't know that how much where he stacks up matters. Well, we don't know about Marquis Lee. He's always hurt. Right, well, and that's the, that's the real issue with Marquis Lee. Right, but Marquis Lee is not a bad wide receiver because he played at USC. He's, he's had issues at wide receiver since he's been at USC because of Marquis Lee. And, and I don't somehow he still went over Allen Robinson. Robinson. I mean, you know, he had a high pedigree. He was a guy that he was one of those wide receivers that I think it was his sophomore year or junior year that he had a lot of hype and people were like, he's the oh, yeah. second or well, best wide receiver. He made the he made the the Associated Press and the coaches uh, freshman All American team, and then he was an All American All American, you know, pretty much consensus as a sophomore, and then he started yeah. having injury problems. But it was more than just injuries. It was, you know, one thing he kept doing, you know, in his final season was he would always do things where he would he would catch the ball uh, and then take a step back, like basically hop three, four yards back, giving up leverage to the defense instead of just taking the ball and going upfield, uh, you know. Um, just stuff, little things like that that I was just always a little – bit, you know, I don't know. He was that late in his sort of development. He was doing stuff like that where, you know, he, he and at times, you know, missing first downs as a result of doing stuff like right. that. Right. You know. He was trying to was trying to take everything to the house instead of just making sure he got the yards that was there. The, no, uh, the exact opposite. The exact opposite okay. of like Robert Woods, who is extremely efficient and a really good route runner and a guy who's going to have yeah. a really solid, long NFL career. If he can actually yeah. get the ball thrown to him. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, he gets open, you know, and he catches the ball when it comes Man. his way. But it doesn't go his way that often. Right, but that's not his fault. <laughs> I mean, you can't replace that on him. <laughs> I'm not trying to believe it on him. I'm just saying. I thought Nelson Aguilar would be the best of the three. And, and, he, might, and he might still be. I mean, he yeah, he had in, flashes, but it was right, a pretty rough one year. year in a – right, it was a rough first one year. One year on the Eagles that were imploding. Right. You know? I was yeah. say it was a rough year for everybody. <laughs> everybody had a good year. <laughs> and and, and he had flashes, too. I mean – yeah, that one inning, he barely finished over a thousand yards. But yeah, I mean, he 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 was caught in a bit of a vortex there, and I think I still think he'll work out. Uh, and he was hurt he, for most of the year too. That's part of it, but like I said, it, even if he'd been one hundred percent healthy, I'll give that a lot more just because it you know, it was hot garbage uh, most of the year there, and it'll be better. I just think it'll and be better for saying? everybody. You have Sam Bradford at quarterback. Well, I mean, I don't know if you could even. I don't even believe that. Yeah, I don't think Bradford is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not a Bradford apologist. I've never been a never been a fan of his, but I'm not going to blame him for that. He's a definition of quarterback purgatory. It used to be Andy Dalton. Maybe, but I mean, their interior offensive line was really their biggest issue. Uh, Exactly. They they had they they were clearly defunct in the locker room from a coaching standpoint, and early on in the year there was there was problems. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, Chip Kelly always took the approach of 
you know, if somebody gives you grief, get rid of them. You know, <laughs> like <Right>. sometimes <laughs> yeah, cause some grief. <laughs> you do that enough, and people go, they're just paranoid all the time. They're like, yeah. "Am I next?" <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you call to the office, and it's like, "Oh, hi, Chip Kelly. Why, why did you invite me here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I do something? So, I'm Bill. sorry. I criticize. I'm your list of quarterback. Movies. Yeah, the Stalinist Purge, they kept, they kept uh, like 27th. But, yeah, they kept having these Stalinist Purges. Uh, and, yeah, you, you can't help but feel unsure of yourself because some of the players that, you know, you got rid of kind of, yeah, it makes sense. I can see that. And some of them was like, what? And then there wasn't a secession plan. There wasn't a plan in place to replace that person. Now, obviously, no. in the case and of – Some of them didn't work. Yeah, right. Exactly. Some of that. I mean, and since Chip Kelly was, you know, as the old, as someone said, it, it was the GM Chip Kelly that got the coach Chip Kelly fired. The, it, I mean, I'm not to go too far down this path because I want to give back. They wish they never fired Andy Reid. Well, even beyond that, it, the, is Andy, the firing and not firing of Andy Reid wasn't really so much the issue. It was the giving Chip Kelly everything. Uh, that ended up being the issue because very few people have been successful at both. It's hard enough to be an NFL head coach. Very few people can do that at a high level. A small number, 10 people maybe at one time in all of America can do that. And then it's really hard being a really successful general manager. Maybe another eight or so people can do that, but there's not overlap usually between those 10 and that eight. So it's a lot to ask a new NFL head coach to also run player personnel and college scouting. And, I mean, that's a lot to put on the plate of a new NFL head coach. I'm not surprised it didn't work. It rarely worked. I mean, Mike Holmgren couldn't make it work, and he might make the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> there's not many people who are successful at it. Mike Holmgren couldn't do it when he was just in the front office either. I mean, in Cleveland, it was terrible. Yeah. So well, he was, it was more than just homegrown. It was a lot of people behind the scenes and a lot of it on ownership, too. Well, I mean, but he, sure, he was right. a GM in Seattle for a time, too, and it wasn't good either. So, That's I mean, he was point. just not a, it's, right. he's a coach. As I, said, as I said, there's not that much overlap between those two groups. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the, most of the people who could be great GMs couldn't coach, and most of the people who could be great coaches can't be GMs. There's, a, there's right. maybe, in the history of the game, there's been a handful of people who were Hall of Fame level, great at doing both, right? Paul there Brown. But it's a short list. <laughs> it's a very short list. You know, Lombardi to a, to a certain extent. But, I mean, it's not like it's a long list of dudes. It's a short list of guys who could do it. So it's silly to expect that, a once again, a new head coach just learning the NFL is going to come in and be great at that. It's just not realistic. I know it's a little yeah. early, but peeling back the uh, curtain to next year a little bit for college football. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nope. Nope. That's not what we're going to do. Nice nice, yeah, that, nice try, though. That makes I can't. me sad. We're going, to, that makes me we're sad. going to go back. And, we're going to finish up with what we were actually discussing. Um, <laughs> How do we get there anyways? As we just mentioned, um, <laughs> we talked about the defensive backs. 
and we talked about, you know, some other guys, and there's a few other guys who are sort of, you know, quote-unquote tweeners. Uh, Stryker being one we just talked about who obviously, you know, doesn't have a home necessarily. I mean, so you have to figure out what you're going to do with him. Uh, there's a few other guys where there's some question marks about what exactly they are in terms of how they will be used, how they can be used. And I'll start with you, Ethan. In the work that you do, how do you do the do the things that you do in terms of key freak and other things you do help you to SLA or whatever, help you to figure out if a guy is a hand in the dirt or a stand-up guy or a free safety or a strong safety or a corner or a uh, safety or how do you, how does how does that inform how you decide where a guy's best suited to play? Yeah, uh, definitely. The, the the first thing that comes to mind when talking about that is offensive line, right? So I take T freak percentiles for offensive linemen to determine if a guy should be a guard or a tackle. Uh, so you look at a lot of guys like, okay, um, let me pull it up here. Like Josh Garnett, 38th percentile, okay, definitely a guard. And the tape matches that. Yeah. Uh, Taylor yep. Decker, very interesting, only 36 percentile. And for a, for a tackle, that's not what you want. The 50 is kind of the threshold for what you want a tackle to be uh, in terms of T-free percentile. If a guy's not 50th percentile or higher, it's a very, very small percent or very small sample size of, of successful tackles with a, a T-free below 50 percent. It's definitely possible, but it's definitely a red flag for Decker. Um, you know, athleticism is important for offensive linemen, but, you know, it's kind of, it, there's guys that can win without athleticism, guys that can win with athleticism. Obviously, at tackle, you want that a little bit more than guard. But T-Freak's very descriptive for how, where a guy needs to play an offensive line. Uh, Joe Dahl scored in the eighth percentile for T-Freak. Uh, and some say, oh, you know, tackle, tackle, tackle. He is absolutely cannot play tackle in the NFL with an eighth percentile uh, T-Freak. And I think right. even his tape kind of shows that he shouldn't play tackle. But some disagree sure. with that. But I don't think there's any justification for that. Uh, Gerald Hawkins was a guy that actually came in below 50%, 42. Um, you know, that's a number you probably, most of the time you're going to have to kick to guard with that number. Um, and then sort of the defensive stuff you had talked about, uh, cornerback and safety, kind of hard to use those to decide. but. We talked about Neil and his percentile. It, you can kind of use that as a way to determine if a guy can play strong. If, if you, if your scheme uses an in-the-box type of guy, you can use that that kind of 90 threshold for an elite strong safety, uh, in-the-box type of physical guy. Uh, and, yeah, that's, those are the two that I just really think of off the top of my head is offensive linemen. Uh, I can really use it as a tool to determine who doesn't have the length to play tackle, and even the athleticism to some extent. Okay, got it. Same question for you, Jim. How how do you break the tie, or how do how do you help to shape how you see a, a particular prospect in terms of position fit based on the the numbers that you use? I mean, really, you know, I you know, again, I'm I'm looking at I mean, I'm looking at pretty much, you know, what do they fit at, again, with cornerback, safety, et cetera. You know, safeties, I'm looking for guys that are relatively uh, productive. Um, as I said before, elite, productive, uh, strong safety types 
are guys that are going to have really high solo tackle market share. Uh, they're going to have relatively above above average interception market share. And um, pass deflection market share is not the biggest deal in the world uh, if you're talking about a guy, again, in-the-box type of guy. Uh, but if you're talking about a more superstar guy, uh, those guys typically have really good pass deflection market share, uh, despite the fact that they also are in-the-box guy. Because you know, they're guys, again, that's why they're a superstar. They can do everything. <laughs> So uh, you kind of want to know, you know, know that sort of area. With free safeties, you want guys that don't necessarily have high solo tackle market share, but have really high pass deflection market share. And interception market share is kind of like the icing on the cake, uh, you know, uh, type of thing for a free safety. So if you have a guy that not only can he, you know, break up passes in coverage, but can intercept the ball at a higher rate, there you go. You know, that's kind of what you want um, in terms of those sort of things. Um, and athleticism kind of gives you an idea of that as well. Um, like I've talked about as well, with athleticism, you know, at the cornerback position, uh, it can tell you a lot about whether a guy can fit in a zone scheme or uh, a man scheme. Uh, you know, if a guy like, you know, Vernon Hargraves, who tested, he had really good explosiveness, really good short shell three cone um, sort of area. 40 wasn't that fast, but his profile is more so aligned with, with zone you know, corners, um, in a way, versus man yeah, corners. He can't. He cannot play man in my in my system. He can't play man because he's only a two point two percentile uh, length and size. So I I almost think he's a nickel or as Jim said, a zone type guy. But there is no successful corner in my database, and I'm actually looking deeper into some guys that aren't in my base to see if they are. Uh, there's no successful corners with that low of a T-free percentile in my database. Interesting. So what did a guy like, say, Kiki Barber look like in your – I mean, he obviously played cover two, but – You mean Rondé Barber? Rondé? I'm sorry. Uh, that's what I meant. Of course, I was giving Rondé, yeah. Uh, what did a guy like Rondé look like in your – you know, the way you break up the T-freak the and things like that? How did a guy like Ron, like Rondé Barber stack up? Well, he was pre nineteen ninety nine, was he not? Uh, yeah, he ended the league in. Oh yeah, but he was playing in the Super Bowl in ninety nine. Yeah, the so league I, don't, in what, I only have up to. 19, might be a better question for Jim because my database only goes to nineteen ninety nine. Oh okay 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 got it got it. Uh, because obviously there are people who think yeah, was, that he might make the Hall of Fame. One day. Well, might. One day. Might. Maybe. Yeah, might. But Barber, I only have the 40 for him. I don't have anything else. Um, you don't have any of his size uh, stuff? No. Yeah. He was not okay. that big. I'll just put it that way. You would not like right. him. So, no, um, he's not big at all. He's 180, <laughs> probably 188 now. Um, and I think you mentioned it at 5'9 and. was like 5'9 and 3'8 or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, ba- based on the stuff that I do, Hargraves was uh, kind of like a fast, faster version of Terrence McGee. Oh. I don't know if you remember that guy. Yeah, he's coming. Sure. But so he's yeah, everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just throwing these guys up. <laughs> I'm just trying, <laughs> to, just trying to say names and fit the profiles. Yeah, I mean, again, you're just trying to figure out, guys, okay, where where do they fit best? Zone man, man guys are typically fast. Zone guys are typically explosive and dynamic, uh, and that's 
you know, same thing goes with offensive line, you know, similar thing. I, I mean, you do get a sense, okay, these are where most of the star offensive linemen are in terms of their type of athletic profile. Offensive linemen that are typically slower tend to be guards, you know, at times. Um, most of the time, actually. Because, uh, yeah. you know, they're slower, you know, um, versus guys that are faster. Uh, and, and, you know, overall, I mean, I, I again, and also to, due to skiing, uh, because I've noticed a, a lot of patterns where you have guys that are really explosive, aren't really the best of athletes, but they fit really well in zone blocking schemes. And as I've said before a couple times on the show, you know, when you're talking about a zone blocking scheme, you're not asking those guys to pull, get out in space and get linebackers. You're asking them to attack guys in a zone very quickly. So, you know, if you're a very explosive player and you're not very fast, you can work a little bit more better in a zone blocking scheme versus a man scheme, which is why I always thought it was kind of funny that people oftentimes say, oh, ZBS scheme, very athletic, when really sometimes that's not even the case. Some of these guys are not really that athletic. They just happen to be very explosive. The same goes for running backs as well, where you have running backs who aren't very fast or explosive, and they fit really well in zone blocking schemes because you're not asking them to be really, really fast. You're asking them to have really good vision and to have that athleticism to get to the hole and burst through the hole, which is what a lot of the explosiveness deals with. So, uh, I mean, that's the Shanahan secret, you know. It's at least what I think. I haven't talked to Shanahan yet, but I think that's the secret is the explosiveness with the dynamic speed. And he ends up with these running backs that everybody doesn't want because they run four six or whatever but they have really good explosiveness and really good dynamic speed. So it, it really just depends on the position. And, you know, again, athleticism gives you an idea of can this guy be a superstar player or can this guy be a starter? And you get an idea of where that starter was successful. Like what scheme was this player successful in? And then you just kind of go from there in your evaluation of the guy. Um, and as I say, you you always start with the tape. I mean, you know, as as I always say, I've watched tape from August until now. Even you know, I'm watching tape, so you you, you want to have a good foundation of actually watching these guys play before you see the testing, because otherwise you'll get into the habit of you know seeing stuff on tape which you didn't see before. Like if a guy runs four three and then you watch the tape mm-hmm. and you go, wow, he looks faster now than I thought. And it's like, <laughs> yes. well. The joys of confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah. And that's the only thing I, I don't like about when the combine comes around is there are lots of guys that, um, you know, that go the, they go the combine. Again, I try to, again, I try to at least watch as many of the guys as possible. This year, there was a couple guys I didn't get a chance to see just because they were small school guys, um, you know, like Ryan Smith, et cetera. But Ryan for the most part, I'm, for the most part, I'm trying to, to, again, I'm trying to see as many guys as possible so that, I have a good idea, okay, of what they look like on tape. And if there was any discrepancies, I'll go back and see. But definitely there are things where you got guys like Taylor Decker where on tape he was always a little eh to me, 100%. Some games he was good, some games he was bad. And then you see him test and you kind of go eh. And you're kind of left going – so this is the like 
this, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is a debate we're having. Ronnie Stanley tested poorly. Taylor Decker tested poorly. So now we're having a debate over which poor testing tackle should go first in the first round. And I'm like, that shouldn't even be the discussion. You know, like that, like, you know, at least to me. me. Well, Jim, I'm going to ask you to choose. Would you rather be shot, suffocated, stabbed, or bludgeoned? Like I said, Stanley, um, like I said, Stanley, at least there is the potential that he could, uh, as I said, he's like a less athletic Brandon Albert, and it's tough. It's not really It's really, really tough (laughs) to, to really get, or David Deal is another sort of thing, of course, people would be like, what? You're moving Stanley to guard? That's hypocrisy. But I just hope that Stanley isn't one of those tackles that you you go through four years, four long years, multiple offensive line coaches cut, fired, you know, whatever, to get to the realization that, you know what, he just isn't cut to play tackle. Well, he can't play guard either, I don't think, so. I don't think he's. Uh, I mean, at least with my stuff, there's guys like David Deal, there's guys like Jeff Bacchus. I just, I'm just coming on tape. I mean, yeah, he doesn't look like he can play guard. Well, he's not very. uh, The word looking for. uh, He's not physical. Yeah. And obviously, the combine didn't help. No. (laughs) No. No. I would, I would personally rather have Decker than Stanley if those are the two you have to decide between. So you're choosing to be bludgeoned. Okay, fine. Yes. Um, and I believe you <laughs> indicated I believe you indicated um, that you prefer to be stabbed. I think that's what you indicated, Jim, and that you were leaning more Stanley. I mean... Once again, you could just be shot, stabbed, suffocated, or bludgeoned. Who shot? For the record, who's shot? Um, I believe you chose Decker. Is that correct, Ethan? Yeah, yeah, that's bludgeoned. Who's, who's, who's that's shot? Bludgeoned. Is that Spriggs? <laughs> yes, I guess. Well, Spriggs, Spriggs is probably – it's funny because I've, Jim and I both like Spriggs more than most people, even going into this. And – Though there are some gifts of some ugly technique. Oh, no, look, his feet are too uh, He's, a, he's oh, a gift player. He's totally, like, a totally bad and a gift type of player. Oh, people are saying yeah, well, so I mean, consistent, especially in the Ohio State game for Spriggs. And people are like, oh, he's probably not even going to be drafted in the first three rounds. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> they're, they're forgetting a couple of things. One is there's a desperate search for anyone who might be able to play left tackle. Might no question. be able to play left tackle. People should keep forgetting this. They're, we did, All of them, shot, suffocated, stabbed, and bludgeoned, are all going to get pushed up the board. Every single one of those guys that you may not like them on tape, you may not like their technique, they're all going to get pushed up the board. Anybody who looks like they possibly can play left tackle is going to go earlier than you think they should. I've just accepted that. Sorry, what was that, Isaiah? He's seedy. People are pushing and trying to push him up to the first round. Well, 
like I said, when people people think, I mean, think about this, when you build your team, and this is true of anybody, I mean, there's different schools of thought in terms of evaluation and how teams are built. But here's what everybody agrees on. You got to keep your quarterback healthy. You got to have a quarterback to keep healthy. And you got to have somebody for your quarterback to throw the ball, the ball to. These are things everybody agrees on. Now, how you get to that differs. I mean, you might have a Rob Gronkowski, you might have an Antonio Brown, whoever it is, it might be Dez, whoever it is, but you got to have somebody, somebody, there's going to be somebody you trust for the football to go in the direction. You've got to find some way to protect your quarterback. Now, some teams do that by actually building a real offensive line, but not many people do that for whatever reason. So they find other ways. We're going to get rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds, have come hell or high water. Well, let's load up our team with the beach volleyball players that Jim earlier alluded to. That's one thing you have to say. I mean, Gronkowski, clearly a beach volleyball player, Edelman, Amendola. I mean, it's funny how you sort of said that, the whole top-down thing, but it really fits how they build their their um, their offensive targets uh, in the passing game. They are beach volleyball players. But either way, you have to have a plan to keep your quarterback, if you have one, from getting smooshed out of existence. And if you can find somebody who has the athletic ability to at least slow up the Von Millers of the world, right? That gives you a chance. You've got a shot. This gives you a chance. So anybody who looks like they might be able to play left tackle, wherever you have them, on your board or wherever you thought they would go, ooch it up somewhere between half to a whole round. And if they look like, if they, look like they definitely will be left tackle, even if they aren't very good, but definitely will be left tackle, then ooch them up at least around to a round and a half. And except if, if you're Jake Fisher. Well, right. <laughs> yes, except you. Well, that was a funny deal because that was the, the whole Oregon not physical finesse, finesse tackle was the, the label he got stuck with for whatever reason, and he couldn't shake it. Once that was established in people's minds, it would apparently would not leave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so ashamed. But let's see here. And when he yeah, but people equate <laughs> things wrong. I mean, like people go, well, he's like Matt Khalil. Like Matt mm. Khalil is 293rd in, in explosive lower body strength. Guys, like, why does he struggle so much? Because he is very <laughs> powerful in his lower body. No. You know, and that's the main difference with the Khalil brothers. I mean. There's, there's always not that you should be comparing people based on, you know, blood kinship, but in one Khalil brother, though he's smaller, you have this power-packed little, little nugget, you know, going out there and, you know, out picking people and get his hands on them, moving them around, and then you got this other guy who is also, you know, light-footed and quick and everything, but just doesn't pack it. I mean, once again, what's the term? Ballast. Whatever term you want to use about, you know, lower body girth and whatever, he's got none of that. And no. he doesn't bring the thump. Whatever term you want to use, it's not, whatever it is, he doesn't have it. Now, here's what I will say. I do believe that he will find a way, partially because, you know, he's a Khalil and he understands certain things, he'll find a way to, to be Efficient. But when you don't have some of the stuff he doesn't have, you can't be much more than that. 
But the saving grace is on a team where, the, you know, it's a run-heavy team. And as long as they have, you know, the Adrian Peterson sort of balancing act thing there with – longer. I know. Yeah, right? running out of time. Right. Well, it's, uh, it'll be interesting after that. But at least for another year or two, uh, they'll have the ability to take some of the pressure off of their guys who aren't great in pass blocking. And I remember when, when they got I remember they got Lowell hold. I was like, what? Um, yeah. Uh, people are gonna go around him like a turnstile. But what I had forgotten was that they were planning to run the ball a lot. So okay, well that that means you can kind of hide Phil Lowell Holt to a certain extent. I know, which is why I was kind of, like, when they lost Lunholt for the season, you know, because he, you know, hurt his knee, I was thinking to myself, you guys are mourning the loss of your your best run blocker, but that still doesn't help Teddy. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) you know, I just, I I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, they're going to do what they're going to do, but, I mean, the Vikings have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. The Colts have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And at the Colts especially are a team where I'm – In the first Ooh. round, people want Ryan Kelly there. Oh, you mean the center? Oh, yeah. I mean, that might <laughs> Maybe help. for Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. That's kind of funny that you would – because he's much more athletic than Jeff Saturday. But, yeah, sure. And bigger. Uh, and bigger. Just yeah. was not a short. Six well, no, I'm saying maybe, maybe that they're just Saturday, you know, as things like they're Peyton Manning. More athletic Alex Mack, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Kelly tested well for a center. I mean, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. I mean, he's the most athletic of the Alabama centers in the Saban era with a considerable amount of room. Also ever. There. Uh-huh. Yes, right. I mean, like I said, he's uh-huh. the most athletic of the Saban centers with, I mean, I don't I don't know exactly how much, you know, specifically, but a lot of gap between he and whoever the number two guy would be amongst the Alabama centers. Uh, he's a guy that could probably play guard as well. <clears throat> you know, so... I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. Or... I could see him taking a guard if he needed to, but sure. I think he could play left guard, right guard, or center, and I think he's going to be, you know, one of those guys an eight to ten year pro, which is good. I mean, I don't think, like I said, I don't, I don't know about first round. The problem, and that is, seems... the problem is the Colts don't have a left tackle. They may want to put Stanza there, but he's more of a right tackle slash guard. You know, I don't know about that. The whole line is, is bad. Their interior line is bad. Their tackles are it. Costanzo is okay. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a he's a below. You want to do better? Left tackle. He's like Luke Jokel as a <laughs> tackle, ish. And he just got paid too. Yeah. Well, let me, ask, let me phrase it this way, Jim. Of the guys who are there on the current Colts offensive line and the guys who are available, uh, address some needs. What what they do to spackle over the huge holes in their house that they have, basically, 
And who have you identified that needs to go first? You know, who needs to be pulled out first and replaced with? Tell me, replace them, but somebody who make, make it happen. Fix this, this, this mess. You talking to me? I, I cut out. Yeah, well, I was I was talking to Jim, but hey, if you want it, oh, okay. Run with it. No, I, I missed what you said. So if Jim could go first. That'd be great. <laughs> well. I mean, I'd get rid of S.A. Casanzo. I'd get rid of Keith Thornton. Khaled Holmes, he still has a job. I'd get rid of him. Lewis, Lewis, out. Jack Newhart, out. So pretty, a whole offensive line, pretty much. Okay. You get rid of Newhart? Newhart's not yeah. bad. Yeah, he's more of a backup than a starter. I don't. I thought he started all year. He did, but no, no. He, I missed, he missed. I mean, <laughs> if you like Tyson Claybo, but a little <laughs> bit more athletic. Then well, I mean, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not a, a New York defender, but I, I, he's probably their best offensive lineman. That's saying something. Even if that's true. <laughs> Okay. So, so, if I was doing that, one thing I would do is I would pray Jason Spriggs falls. Why would he fall? Well, because NFL sometimes doesn't care that much about athletic metrics, uh, despite the fact that they claim that they do. Um, I mean, based on the way he tested in the in the in the, I mean, based on what I do and how he tested. He's easily a guy that could go top ten in the draft and wouldn't be surprising. Um, like if it happened, like if the Jags took Jason Spriggs with the fifth pick or something like that, I would be like, yeah, makes sense. Because that's, you know, they're a team that really needs offensive line help and he's a really good so athlete. This is the first yeah, he said Project. Fisher and he's mocked Jacks the Raiders last year. What? I said, well, this is the guy who took Jake Fisher to the Raiders last year. Fifth overall. Yeah, and it, yeah, it would have been pretty good pick as well because we have tackle issues now. Yep. All right, tackle. Issues. You have tackle issues. And, and, and most line issues. Donald Penn teams is in contract talks with them. They want to get a long-term yeah, deal contract done. contract talks. Yeah, a long-term deal for a tackle that Who's thirty three? Is he thirty three? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. he's bad and run in the run game, which that's where you really need your offensive line. And he's better well, off passing down. I mean the Raiders are you know McKenzie's always been the Packer mold kind of guy, which I don't like because it means their Curtis life is in danger, but yeah. Um <laughs> in terms of offensive linemen. I mean men like Watson is they're gonna try again. Oh Jesus! Oh. He better because Boston Howard is he's good. It's just he can't stay. It's basically like this: they they can't quit him for whatever reason. <laughs> so at first it was because he sucked, and then he got injured, and now he got injured again. Eh, whatever. Basically, Jason Spriggs is a guy that I would easily target. He may not fall there because of reasons, like I just mentioned. If he doesn't get there, I would definitely take Brian Kelly there um, because I think that's a good place to start. 
Uh, in day two, I would go after um, the guy I mentioned before in uh, Haig. Yep. Um, oh, Joe Haig? Yeah, Joe Haig from uh, North Coast State. I don't know if he'll be day two or day three. Uh, probably day three. Yeah. Testing-wise, I mean, in terms of what I do, which I know is different, but what, what I do... Would you go after testing. somebody like Leachy, Ossimelli, and free agency to help out? You mean the guard? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how much I'm going to get him for. Yeah, you know, well, you're twenty two million. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be cheap. <laughs> no thanks. I'm good. <laughs> um none of the Yeah, um I'd probably get Eric eh, Eric Winston's kinda gone down a little bit. But I know he's a little a little bit, but he's still an upgrade over what you've got at right tackle. But. Right, 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 right. So I try to get him so I try to target him, uh, either Eric Winston or uh, Stevenson from Kansas City, one of those types of guys, because he's a little, a lot better than what we got. So one of those guys, Ryan Kelly, first round, day two, Joe Haig. Joe Haig is a guy, as I said before, has, you know, Michael Ruse, uh, level athleticism, very similar to Jawan James, very similar to, you know, all those types of guys. Um, I know people have talked about him as a guard, but with all the stuff that I do, it's tackle, 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 tackle. They're all tackles. He's he's under uh, my threshold for for tackle, but I, I, it's negotiable. He he's he, he's right around there. I think he can kind of go either way, but he's just a little bit under my threshold. When do you go yeah. after defense, Jim? There is a oh. lot of holes on this cold roster. Well, you, you don't go after defense. I mean, that's because what, the that's offensive what, line is that bad. Exactly. That's what free agency is for, uh, Isaiah. They'll try to get to that as best they can in free agency. The defensive line overall, I mean, in terms of what you're getting, I mean, okay, your first round, you get Ryan Kelly. Day two, say, third, or day, let's say ideally day three. So nobody likes Joe Haig. They think he's a guard because he played in the FCS. All right. You can get him at fifth, yeah. Yeah, you get him day three. Um, yeah. In terms of other sort of things, draft-wise, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that stick out. And Connor McGovern is probably going to be, like, the first-round pick of the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that feels the there. That would not uh, surprise me one bit. Uh, Joe Thune. Talk about undersized. Oh, Play that position. Huh. So I guess Maybe I would I, do that. Yeah. I mean, I can't do everything in the draft, but I at least would do that start. I think Ryan Kelly is very much a possibility in the first round, and I think that Joe Haig is definitely a possibility somewhere there. Everything else you can just fill with defense. I mean, their defense sucks. Their offense is terrible. Like, there's I can't do everything. So, Hold that up. In a second.
center in the first round, and we did our little uh, two-people mock draft. He got asked me giving them to the Broncos. Well, you know, taking a center in the first round is not that big of a deal anymore because of how much you have to actually pay guys there. So if you're projecting, like if you say this guy is going to be a top-ten center, um, the money kind of aligns with that a little bit. How much you're actually going to be paid? Gold or a Alex Mack. Um, you're just hoping one of those things. Yeah, and with Kelly, that's very good, for, you know, possibility based on the athleticism and everything else that he could end up being a top ten center, you know, or better. So, you know, I mean, that's why we see more guards being taken in the first round because the cost is less. So you're basically playing the game of do we think this guy is going to be the 16th best guard, you know? And usually they go, yeah, I think he has a good chance of becoming that. So when they pay him all that money, it really isn't that big of a deal because you're not – I mean, that that was kind of the main reason why guards weren't being taken that high before because, you know, guards were normally not paid as much in the top ten. You know, when, when the top ten actually got paid a lot more money. You know, so that's kind of what was driving that was the market and how much they actually were paying guys. Now, because everything's cheaper, you know, it kind of screwed over the quarterbacks, though, because the quarterbacks are like, hey, we're making, we're like little slumlords here, you know, making $7 million a year, where, you know, most of the guys are just kind of, eh, quarterbacks are getting $14 million a year, $15 million a year, you know. For guys that are just kind of eh, but yeah, that's why. Yeah, and the Colts are a mess. The Colts are yes. Like as I said many times, they're the, it's worse than what happened to Philip Rivers. You know, like it's <laughs> it's worse. Like the defense, they don't really have a clue in terms of what they want to build scheme wise on defense. They don't really have a clue in terms of the types of athletes they need to run, the type of scheme they want to run. They don't really have a clue in terms of the offensive line talent acquisition. They free agency is mostly the get a bunch of names type of free agency. You know, so like these guys did really well on Monday Night Football one time. So one let's go five get that years guy. ago. <laughs> yeah. And this guy is Frank Gore, and this guy is Andre Johnson. Remember when they were good? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's very and much that sort of approach, which is bad. This is how you get Trent Cole. Ugh. Yeah, remember when he was good? <laughs> and they end up cutting both of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they're not very like everything else in life. You know, they're you like- have. A moment where you're really productive, and then you get older, and then you're less productive, and then you die. So you know it's a, it's, it's just the cycle of NFL players. You know, players aren't always productive all the time. Eventually, they hit a they hit a point where they're less productive, and then it just stays that way until they you know. Rarely will you see a guy that you know goes from you know like pulls a Kurt Warner, right? You know, a guy that was very productive and then kind of hit him bad spot, and then finally had a late surge. Some guys it happens with that, but not all the time. You know, <sighs> occasionally a few guys. 
the Cedric Benson, right? You know, the Cedric Benson, you know, meh, and then kind of got relatively strong late and then finally retired. This is like the pre uh, pre Rich McKenzie for the Raiders, but for the Colts. It's that bad in terms of devoid of talent in, in so many areas. Oh yeah. So, so looking, I guess, at the last group, uh, I guess we'll discuss the 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 non-edge linebacker types, the interior linebackers, and I guess guys will play four-three uh, outside linebacker. Obviously, people are a little bit depressed about Jalen Smith, and and to a lesser extent, Miles Jack, whose injury is not quite as severe. Um, what numbers matter to you? And I'm talking now to, to uh, Ethan. What ma- numbers matter to you when you're looking at the four-three linebackers and the guys who might be play three-four inside linebacker? What what things help you delineate them? And and like I said, sort of what numbers do you look for in terms of benchmark? Yeah. So if you, it depends, kind of if you're talking off-ball linebackers. That middle linebacker, you kind of want a blend of, of size and, and athleticism. So I kind of ter- turn to look at SLA percentile as my, as my first look. Uh, in terms of if you want Mike or Will or coverage or, or more of a run defender guy, more run defender, I want higher T-freak percentile, like Josh Perry. Uh, he's a good example. He's 89.9 percentile for T-freak, uh, which is right where you'd want it for a, a physical kind of run defender. Uh, his spark isn't as good, 55th percentile, but in the 55th percentile. But that's that's okay because you know at his size, that's not really he's not going to be in coverage all the time, and he's not terrible. 55th percentile is not terrible. I mean he can do it if needed. Um, but sort of those covered like that the Telvin Smith kind of dime linebackers. You're really looking more for an undersized coverage guy and. Uh, numbers-wise, you just don't want any red flags and spark there. Uh, guys like Feeney tested really well there. Not much. Uh, Feeney and Lee were the only ones above 80 percentile in this class. Really a, a, a non-athletic linebacker class. Uh, the last six or seven guys on my list here are all below the 20th percentile. Uh, Scooby Wright, really limited athlete. In. Terrible T-freak percentile, under one percentile. Uh, his SLA was 1.7. That's almost the fact where I don't think I could take him in the draft. It's such a big red, big red flag. And combined with his injury stuff, I just I would probably stay away from him. Uh, but it's really just more of a blend, you know. You want to look at all three things. You don't. You just don't want any glaring things like you have with Scooby Wright. Okay. And I guess in a Sam backer, do you look for a guy who's, you know, bigger, 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 240-something, 230? I mean, what what do you look for in a Sam? You know, I mean, how, how do you tell a Sam backer from the other guys that we just discussed? So you, kind of that K.J. Wright architect, is that what you're talking about? Mm, okay. Yeah, so, uh... I mean, it kind of depends what scheme you run, right? I mean, it's going to be different. I, I'm not running my own scheme, but 
I tend to, mm-hmm. to default to a 4-3, and uh, that kind of heavy run defender guy that can cover if needed, but that's not his job. That Josh Perry fits in pretty well there, and that's that kind of Sam. And then you can kind of get into Will territory with uh, kind of maybe Darren Lee. He's a little bit undersized there, but he can probably stick there on a 4-3. I don't know what you think of that. That's probably what I would think. Okay. It's a sort of will and for him. Got it. Got it. Same question to you, Jim. How do you differentiate based on the metrics you use? What kind of linebacker is a good fit for what? And what thresholds let you know if a guy has a good chance to be successful? Well, the first place I usually start uh, with linebackers is uh, actually production metrics, um, mainly because you know, 100% of all the multiple all-pro uh, linebackers, pursuit linebackers, as I like to call them, uh, off-ball, if you want to, you know, do what everybody else does, uh, were in the 90 percentile or higher in terms of solo tackle market share. Um, and this is all the way back to Ray Lewis time, you know, 1996 draft class. Um, and we're talking to everybody, you know, uh in terms of anybody you could think of that was a really good middle linebacker uh, to pursuit linebacker from 1996 to now, the Luke Keekley, the Lewis, the Willis, the Brian Erlacher, the even the Keith Bullock, um, all those guys were in that 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 higher area. Um, when it came to Pro Bowl linebackers, it was a 75 or higher solo tackle market share area, and then once you got below that range. Uh, it was a lot of eh in terms of guys. I mean, there there were definitely a few players here or there that were athletes that became um, starters. You know, Thomas Howard, for example. Uh, Ernie Sims was a guy that was a starter for a little bit. Um, and there were a few guys that kind of were like one-hit wonders or, or guys that had like one good season and that was it in terms of their career. Um but I mean, I, I usually start there. I mean, I'm starting basically looking at how productive was he in terms of those certain areas. In terms of athleticism, I mean, it it really just depends on the position. Um, as he kind of you know, as you know, Ethan talked about, you know, certain guys fit Sam linebacker position. Sam linebacker is usually really explosive and really fast for their size, but not very dynamic in terms of short shell three cone. Um, guys that you want to kind of fit like the all around guy, you know, speed, dynamic speed is definitely a big thing at linebacker. Um, guys that are really fast and really short, you really get short trail three count do really well in terms of those certain things. And there's also a lot of linebackers who aren't very fast, but are very explosive and very dynamic. And, you know, the, the James Laronitis, right. The, you know, the Paul Puzluzny, the Sean Lee, types. You know, those are guys that aren't very fast, but are very explosive and very dynamic. Um, guys that kind of play close to the line of scrimmage and kind of work from that kind of area. So it kind of just gives you an idea of, like, is this a guy that could be a really good man all-around linebacker? Is this a guy that you kind of just want to play closer to the line of scrimmage? Is this a guy that you want to be kind of that strong, powerful linebacker? I mean, you get all that information um, from all that sort of area. Um, 
in this class in particular, yeah, I agree. I mean, most of the linebackers that tested weren't really the best athletes, 100%. Um, some of them were really bad <laughs> in terms of what they did. Uh, I mean, you know, guys like Blake Martinez were kind of, eh, you know, in terms of all the stuff that they did. Um, although Martinez, I mean, you know, Barrett Rudd is somebody that, you know, could is a possibility, but uh, he overall has some kind of iffy athleticism there. Um, Chad Greenway is kind of a, a thing for, like, uh, Nick Vigil as a possibility in terms of athleticism. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple guys that are kind of like that. Shorter area guys, uh, yeah, Tyler Medikevich was kind of dreadful. Steven Daniels was bad. Steve Longo was bad. Devontae Boyd, bad. Eric Stryker, bad. Um, Kentrell Brothers had really good dynamic speed, but the explosiveness and speed was really bad in terms of, you know, his testing. Um, Darren Lee had very, very good speed. He was very similar to... Uh, he was kind of like a more athletic version of like Levante David, but doesn't have near the production that Levante David had, of course, um, in college uh, from a solo tackle market share perspective. Um, so it's, you know, Lee's one of those guys that uh, was in the danger zone, sort of like the Dahani Jones level production. Um, it's kind of what Darren Lee was. Uh, so it, you know, it's kind of odd there. And Raglan also was, uh, you know, you didn't do the short shell three count, which is is, is worrisome to me. Um, yeah. Because his explosiveness and speed wasn't really that uh, great for his size, 100%. And if the short shell and the three count isn't great, then, eh, you know, like, unless his short shell three count is really good, there's a possibility he could be kind of like a, you know, put up a starter profile. But, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he, overall, he 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 did not have the best sort of, uh, none of the Chuck Smith guys had great combines, you know. So uh, I'll put it that way. So they work more on, you know, technique and hands fighting and stuff like that instead of uh, getting better times. But, um, yeah, overall, I mean, uh, uh, most of the linebackers in this class tested really well production-wise, but there wasn't a lot of guys that actually put up. In fact, none of the guys really, other than, say, Nick Vigil, who just put up kind of like kind of average starter-level athleticism, um, kind of matched production with athleticism. And Joshua Perry also, uh, you know, Josh Perry also, um, athleticism wise, even though he didn't do uh, the short shell three cone, he did enough to kind of show that he could be kind of a starter, um, kind of a little bit better than like uh, like Chris Claiborne, sort of starter linebacker type. If he doesn't have sh- good short shell three cone, so yeah, the the pursuit linebacker class was a little disappointing in terms of uh, guys that were there because there was a lot of guys that had a lot of potential production-wise to be guys that could be really good, and none of them, you know, did the sort of athletic threshold they should have, that they should have made if they were going to be considered to, to actually translate to the NFL level with that production. 
of it. So, remember saying correctly, there was only two or three guys that tested like future starters amongst the linebacker class. Is that is that what you're saying? I mean, with me, I, I mean, let me just get the tally. I mean, with me, I mean, you got one, two, three, four, maybe um, five, six, and about six, give or take. Okay. okay. So. so six guys tested so in such a way that at least there's a chance that they could be future starters. I mean, they have starter level athleticism. Okay. But that's it. So there's tons of guys that, you know, like Darren Lee definitely tested really well as an athlete, but I would also say Thomas Howard tested really well as an athlete too. Yeah. Oh, Thomas and, Howard tested like a ridiculous athlete and was bigger. Yeah. And was much more productive, although his production, of course, was not in the, you know, Big Ten, but still. Lee's production <laughs> is historically low, you know, 52 percentile, um, which is, you know, again, to that quality threshold 75 or higher. And the elite threshold's 90 or higher. So Lee's definitely a guy that I, uh, you know, and of course guys like Miles Jack didn't test, and guys like uh, Jalen Smith is probably not going to test at all. So well, uh, yeah. not. no, no, certainly not. Yeah. So we we Miles Jack is leaves a chance that he might uh, this you know in the, in the near future, but you know Jalen Smith is only been walking for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to say no on the, on the athletic <laughs> testing. <laughs> yeah. Although he came in really, really light. Although it's understandable. I mean, you're trying to recover. Well, from yes. Something. Well, he hasn't but been he came in, obviously. Yeah, and then there's the atrophy. <laughs> I just remember Mike Mack was like saying, oh yeah, Jalen Smith, he, he's uh, 6'1", 240. And I'm like, no, he's nope. not. He's 23, <laughs> yeah, I think is what exactly. he's <laughs> Exactly. I was like, no, he's not, man. You lie. <laughs> Too much uh, well, Notre Dame broadcasting is what I check, check that up to. Well, well, the fact is, I mean, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be honest. He's lost something off his fastball since he's been doing the Notre Dame game. He used to see much more tape from everybody or, you know, not everybody, but more different players. And I think now he sees, you know, because he spends so much time on Notre Dame games, he doesn't see as many different players, and it shows. And he's not, I don't know. I mean, he's still one of the better guys in the business, but he's not what he was before the Notre Dame deal. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I kind of track it up to, you know, the 2014 draft where he was, talking about that he's playing catch-up for the Senior Bowl, and I'm like, catch-up for the Senior Bowl? Yep. What? That never You're used Mike to happen. Yep, <laughs> that never used to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have to catch up for the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. At least uh, catch-up in the sense that he basically was making it sound like he was going to watch everybody, not just a few guys, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, like I say, he's lost a little yeah. something off his fastball since the Notre Dame deal. Now he knows 
more about Notre Dame guys than he ever did before, but he doesn't know as much about everybody else. Uh, so you just sort of debunked the Darren Lee thing. Is there anybody else that people, as a sort of consensus, are super high on that perhaps they should not be, Jim, before we wrap up uh, tonight? Any other sort of buyer beware guys that people have been super high on that you want to sort of throw out there based on either production or athletic testing? Oh, well, uh, Leonard Floyd, pretty boy Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> now, people um, are, are, had fallen out of love, but then they fell back in love when he weighed 244 pounds. Yeah. I uh, don't really care. I don't know. Um, like, it's like with Vic Beasley. When Vic Beasley came to the combine weighed 247 and tested like Connor Barwin, but a lighter version of Connor Barwin even. You know, I was like, eh. You know, like, sure, he tested like elite level athlete-ish, but I just, again, what I do with production and the tape, I just wasn't having it. Same thing with Leonard Floyd. I mean, the tape Leonard Floyd has and the production he's put up is iffy. He's a really, really old prospect as well. Um, He didn't really put up uh, elite level athleticism for his size. Um, at least what I do. I mean, he put up starter level athleticism, but not elite level athleticism for his size. And he didn't uh, even I, test enough for me. Yeah, um, yeah, because he didn't do everything. But at least the stuff that Heise is doing, I was kind of filling in the gaps a bit with a few things. But okay. uh, you know, it's just nothing really was. I don't know. I guess it's it's just the term elite again. Like you know what I mean. Like people have different definitions for elite. Elite for me is like I usually say is a guy that is in the ninety percentile in almost every category of athleticism. Um, and there's very few guys, and that's why it's called the elite, you know, class. You know, versus the very very good class. Uh, Leonard Floyd definitely put up starter level athleticism for his size, um, but didn't quite put up like elite type of athleticism. Um, and he's a guy that, again, you know, we've been talked about in the first round constantly um, throughout the process. And when you watch the tape, you see a guy that is, ugh, you know, I mean, just gets ganged up on. It's, it's really sad. It's like National Geographic level sort of stuff that happens to Floyd on tape by offensive linemen when they double team him especially. And uh he's just not a very powerful guy. He's just all speed, no not much else to his game. And I just don't see how a guy that's that raw, even with that athletic ability, uh can become a, a really good player. Um especially a guy like him where, you know, I just I don't know. I just would be very surprised if he became a really successful player. He might become like a guy that, you know, starts for a little bit here and there, but I don't think he's going to be worth as high as he might end up getting drafted. That's well, as you pointed out, most people are projecting him somewhere into the latter half of the first round. And, you know, a few people have him in the second, and I have him, I mean, he's up to me in the late second, but I don't think that will happen. Um, yeah. I mean, there's people who legitimately it. are having conversations about, you know, 
I mean, there are people having conversations about him over Bosa for a while. Ooh. And <laughs> and they're basically taking the combine as more, you know, fire to the flame of like, go over Bosa, go over Bosa, you know, like oh. it's. They're not even the same it's kind just, of player. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I guess it's just the type of player like. Like, all I would say about this draft class is I've been kind of saying to, uh, you know, about the wide receiver class especially, is this is not, and I know you might debate me on this, Bill. I know you might be, well, this part of the draft class is good. But, I mean, again, overall, this is not the best draft class. If you come into this class with lowered expectations, then you might actually be happy. Next year's going to be a lot better. Which is what we said last year. Wait, Wait, when hasn't that been said? When hasn't that been said? Next year will be better. That's that's. It's about in 2013. I've already yeah, said this class would have been bad with wide receivers. I'm not saying there is any bad ones, but I mean next year's going to be better talent wise. Yeah, well, like I said, maybe let's say it every year. maybe not. To them about the quarterbacks, right? And we're all excited Maybe. about the quarterbacks come from you know this year when but last year. Now where's all that excitement gone? Um, so uh, first of all, uh, I'll, I'll I want to thank Montel who was with us earlier, and uh, Ethan, tell people where they can find your work and follow you, sir. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at NFL Drafter. I'm posting a lot of the stuff I talked about today on there, and. Uh, up on my site, which I post links to, and uh, I write for Pro Football Spot, and uh, should be more content digging deeper into some of my numbers coming there soon. Excellent. Um, and Isaiah, tell people where they can find and follow you, and what are you up to now? I, I'm still in the still in the process of bringing back my old website. It's been hard with my actual job, you know, get stuff in between. But recently, I've just completed my quarterback rankings, my running back rankings, wide receiver rankings, and tight end rankings, working on the cornerback for next year. Um, that will be up within the next couple of days on my website. I'll post, put out a link. Okay. And, of course, the same question to you, Mr. James Coburn. What are you up to, and where can people find and follow your work, sir? Sure. I mean, I've been just doing my metric stuff, so um, I've been, that's just what I've been doing. I've been doing metric profiles. Um, I posted a uh, uh, running back metric stuff series to Amazon.com. So, uh, you know, in terms of metric profiles and stuff like that, it's kind of on there. Doing a lot of articles on NFL Spin Zone. I recently did an interview on the American Sports Network about small school players actually dropped your name i don't know they might people might call you bill i'll just put it that way (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) about stuff um because uh they they do uh they cover a lot of uh um you know fcs school colonial you know the stony brooks the Mm -hmm. meag the you know those those kind of places sure sure Um, and i'm like hey i know a guy who Watches nothing but FC. We rarely watches FBS. He just watches FBS. <laughs> just kind of joking <laughs> with him, but you know, uh, you watch FBS. So just say like if 
you're the kind of guy that if you had a choice between, you know, three FPS games and FPS, I watch, you'd I watch be like, Look, that's a bit of a misnomer. I watch it equally. I, the difference is I'll watch four FCS and four FBS games instead of watching 20 FBS and one FCS game. Which <laughs> right. They'll never come. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or uh, 20 FBS and then half of an FCS game. Right, exactly. You or change the channel right. halfway through. Right, even more common. <laughs> to an FBS um, game. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I, I did a lot of stuff basically and um oh and you can also follow me on twitter capital j one and of course i also have had draft madness on twitter so i think there's about 20 not 24 hours about 12 10 hours left on a bunch of yep. polls i did this morning to decide you might see will be the number one draft pick. as of right now Bill ain't doing too well against Charlie Harmon, and <laughs> Charlie Harmon, Charlie Harmon is a dog, people. So, yeah. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, it's not good. So uh, go vote for Bill Carroll because I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's he's a he's a dog that tweets. You know, it's. I mean, that is amazing, though. I mean, you have to admit. I mean, a dog that tweets is, is amazing, but still, it's just. He's being beaten by a dog. So that I am. <laughs> people have got to start voting for him. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> it's just uh, you know stuff. I, I you know I decided instead of I, I do Fall Friday stuff. Didn't do a lot because I was really busy moving and stuff. But now I'm just you know March draft madness. So yeah, we'll see who wins. You know there can only be one. There can only so. be one. If, if, not Charlie wins, if Charlie, hey, if Charlie wins, Charlie will win fair and square, and it was, it was an honor to be, like I said, just an honor to be nominated. Uh, we have a nice little roster of guests uh, that I'm finishing up for tomorrow's show. Uh, Harlan Miller, a few other guys who are at the Combine will be joining us, uh, Josh Woodrum and a handful of other guys, and uh, I'll start finishing off uh, the confirmations tonight. Now I'll send out an email about exactly who's on with us. Once again, always a pleasure, always an honor, always a privilege. Gentlemen, have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you, sir, and thanks for having me on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.